What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will announce the winners of our 2023 year-end awards preview battle in the valley and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm here, in effect, and um, for the first time ever since we've done this podcast together, there is something going on in the background, and I promise not to let it affect my performance tonight, but uh, Jeremy, take a look at my phone. Tell me what you see. Uh, I see football. Yeah, that's called sports. (laughs) Young boy Joshua Smith, you know, bona fide sports fan. (laughs) <laughs> you know, there's an important game going on right now. I got to keep it on in the background just to keep up on what's going on. But you know, I don't claim to be the you know biggest sports fan in the world. I'm not necessarily you know going to jump on a uh, One Nation Radio and chalk it up about what's going on in the world of of football. But I am a lifelong Michigan Wolverines fan, and the way it's looking right now, we're about to uh, <laughs> win our first national championship since 1997. So. <laughs> Nice. Uh, you know, we, we changed the uh, social suplex colors just for you to, yeah. you, you know, represent Michigan. Yeah, it's weird. I, I, I kind of suggested what it should look like, and it's weird how it ended up, you know, <laughs> with those colors. Uh, it's a slightly, <laughs> oh, yeah, we should uh, do blue and gold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, before we get started, there was something I forgot we were supposed to talk about last week, but um, we're going to talk about it here. The, the people of Japan love us. 
Oh, you know what I was going to say? I don't think we ever discussed on the show that Eddie Kingston won the C2. Uh, no, we didn't. Yeah, so that, that's also happened. <laughs> so shout, shout out to uh, <laughs> Eddie watching. Kingston. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, now, what what is this gimmick with Chartable? Because I, I don't understand it, and I don't get technology. Yeah, so there's a site called Chartable.com. So they have a podcast. You can go on there, sign up, and it will uh, tell you where your, your podcast is ranking on the various podcast charts. And uh, for Apple Podcasts, Keeping a Strong Style has been regularly ranking in the top 10 of the Apple Podcasts in Japan in the, in the wrestling category. Um, and we've also been breaking into the top 100 on the, the U.S. charts for wrestling. We've peaked at 25 as the highest we've gotten on the U.S. charts. But in Japan, we're constantly in the top 10. Uh, as of right now, we're uh, number five on the uh, Apple Podcast charts in Japan for wrestling. Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't understand when you sent that the first time and it was like, you know, Japan. I thought it was like not the region, but the subject. I was like, oh, we're like number seven for Japanese pro wrestling podcasts. That makes sense, you know, but then you were like, no, for the for the country. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was just> like, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize. So, um, yeah, we, we've been... Uh, We've been ranking up there when it comes to, you know, Japan, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how. Now, let me ask you, is this a gimmick? Like, how how reliable are these numbers? And it's only for Apple Podcasts, right? Yeah, I mean, that, there's some Spotify numbers in there, but I haven't seen, like, a full chart. I think you have to pay to get the some, some of the other charts. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what algorithm Chartable is using how they're pulling in their data, but I, I like what the data is saying and, and showing. <laughs> well, you know, we're not ready to uh, unveil all of our plans for the year 2024 just yet, but I, I have a feeling that we're on our way to exponential growth in 2024. You know, uh, like like a televangelist or a prosperity doctor doctrine preacher might say 2024 the year of the open door you know that that's what this is for us you know so if you guys listening will give us a seed donation of 24 dollars then that's a man <laughs> oh man but seriously if you if you want to donate yeah you know hit up the uh, the red circle donate we appreciate uh, the donations here for the show and the network so yeah, and you know, I just want to say for everybody that's listening, we haven't brought it up too much, but this is probably a good time. Um, this year's uh, FOH draft has done phenomenal, so thank you. We don't always see – actually, that's not true. Rich sees who's who's doing the donations, but I don't know who's doing the donations. So I can't name, I can't name anybody you know, in particular and say thank you for XYZ donation, but, um, you know, it goes a long way. We really appreciate it. And there were a couple larger end of the year donations that came to the um, One Nation Radio and the Social Suplex feed. And uh, again, those are whenever you donate to Redbubble, maybe just shoot us an email or something. Let us know it was you because they don't tell us that you've done that. And um, but we, you know, we definitely really appreciate it. Whoever you are that's listening, that shot us that, that was uh, really awesome. And uh, for all of our regular donators, you know, thank you. And for the rest of you listening, 
you should be in that list too. <laughs> yes, donate. And also a uh, shout out to everybody who voted. Like you're here, we're going to announce the winners of the award. So thank you to everybody uh, who voted. We ended up beating uh, last year's number of voters. Appreciate everybody going out, getting their, their votes in. And I think the people were very clear on a, a lot of categories here. We're about to go through and uh, announce all the winners. Yeah, there are a few that were close, but uh, it was pretty clear cut in most um, categories. And by and large, I found it hard to argue against most of the results this year. Yeah, there have been years in the past where we're like, what are the voters doing? <laughs> Why are they voting for this stuff? But yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with uh, everything that uh, won in the categories here. So uh, yeah, and, and you know what? The, the one category I disagree with, it's the one I always disagree with. We'll get to it. It happens every <laughs> single year. I, but, um, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> now, Jeremy, I uh, you you sent me all the details and everything, but I gotta tell you, I, I'm not shutting off this game. So you're just gonna have gonna have to tell me what the point totals are and everything, and then I'll, I'll follow along. I, I did study it extensively. I've looked at it many times, so I'm already familiar. But I don't have the Google sheet in front of me to tell you the exact <laughs> stuff. So you're gonna have to guide me. All uh, right. Yep. I'll, I'll run know, this. Through. Michigan's up 17 to three right now. Like it's fucking <laughs> crazy. All right. So let's start off with the. Antonio Anoki Wrestler of the Year Award. So a uh, tie for third place, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, and the frontman, Zack Sabre Jr., coming off 196 points. Then in second place with 233 points, the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Tetsuya Naito. And then coming in, First place, 561 points, the Aerial Assassin, Will Ospreay. Yeah, you know, it's sort of unfortunate in a certain sense because, I mean, and all credit is due. I I voted Will Ospreay first. I took a look at your ballot. I saw you did too, Jeremy. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, there's a huge point disparity between number one and then two and then the tie for number three. Uh, but I feel like that almost does a little bit of disservice to the fantastic years that Okada and Saber had, as well as Naito. But this was a runaway category, like, and it's hard to deny the greatness of Zack Saber Jr. Like, this is the third time in the history of the show that he's won that award. I believe that's the most anybody's ever won Wrestler of the Year in the history of this show. And um, you know, each time that he did it. We pretty much were, you know, talking in hyperbolic terms saying like, yo, this guy had a career banner year. The the amount of great matches he had were only, you know, maybe topped by the other year that he, you know, won this uh, award and he's done it again. And like Will has been just freaking phenomenal from the Will Ospreay series to the matches that he had with Umino and uh, Suji and the series with uh, um, Taichi and the Okada match. And, you know, the list goes on and on. The Naito match and the G1, his entire G1 run in general, his U.S. title run this year. uh, Like, he just, he killed it. Plus, when you factor in the work he was doing in AEW and Impact and, you know, across the world, his Rev Pro title run and all that. Like, he's just had an outstanding year. And it's, I feel like this is 
um, a case where his, even though he's not the world champion of this company, he was so in the limelight and so in the forefront of what was going on in the wrestling world. And there were so many other world title holders that were kind of taking a step back, whether that be MJF or Jake Lee or Sonata or Roman Reigns. It feels like he has a very good shot at actually winning the Observer Ric Flair Award, which I don't I can't remember very many guys that ever won that when they weren't a world champion. And it looks like he's probably the, you know, most likely candidate to win that award, uh, but very, very deservedly won this award here. Yeah, I think this voting just kind of shows what we've been saying all, all of last year that Will should have been the world champion and, and pushed harder last year and i know this is just like a, a sample size of fans you know obviously there's thousands and thousands of, of new japan fans out there but i think that our audience and this uh vote this voting here is a good sample size of what the general new japan audience was thinking and so many people saw will osprey like you mentioned you can't deny all the incredible matches he had all the feuds obviously that the kenny omega uh two match series that everybody loved and two incredible uh, matches and so yeah will's just done so much and like you mentioned this is, this is will's third time uh winning the award second consecutive so he's the only person uh in the history of our awards going back to 2017 um who's won it two years in a row and then won it three times overall um so just it don't book this shit <laughs> uh that's incredible stuff from will you know if it wasn't for the pandemic he probably would have won in in 2020 that was like the one year that kind of broke up his uh, consecutive streak there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just incredible stuff from Will Ospreay. And, yeah, it's going to be sad to, to see him go. Yeah, um, it, it is sad. But, you know, uh, again, honorable mention to the runners-up. I think um, Zach and Okada tying, that's a, pretty much a rarity. We rarely ever have guys end up with the exact same point total. Um, so that was kind of unique there. And then, uh, you know, Naito is an interesting one because, in my opinion, I don't think Naito had as many great matches or even story arcs this year as Zack Sabre Jr. and Okada did. But I feel like his um, redemption arc through the G1 and then the the way he peaked down the, the final, like, couple days of that tournament are really what endeared him to a lot of the voting audience and went a, uh, a long way in getting him to that second place uh, this year. Yeah, we'll see it in some of the other categories, but I think people gave that G1 win a lot of uh, weight there when they were thinking about their voting. Uh, so yeah, not the the most spectacular year for Naito, but winning that G1 does mean something, and it means something to the fans, and people were very happy to see him win the G1, kind of leading into the big moment coming at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I also imagine probably that uh, probably combined with the Muto stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look now at the match of the year. So coming in third place with 185 points, Shota Umino versus Will Ospreay from November 4th, 2023. Then in second place with 237 points, Tetsuya Naito First, Will Ospreay from August 12th, 2023. And then the first place winner, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega from January 4th, 2023. Yeah, um, again, a, a similar 
sentiments about the voting on this category as I had for the first one. And you know what? You're probably going to see some of that across the board because like we said earlier, um, a lot of the voting here was definitive. So, you know, someone getting second or third place, even though they might not had a, a huge point total, it's usually because whoever was number one was so strongly definitive, it, it outweighed everything else. But um, one thing I thought was pretty interesting is, you know, a lot of different publications and fans really felt like the second Omega Osprey match was near or at the same level. And some people felt beyond the first match on January 4th. And so the fact that those two runner up matches, um, Osprey versus Naito in the G1 semifinal, and then uh, Osprey versus Umino from uh, what was that from? From uh, Power Struggle. I always forget that part of the year, Power Struggle. Um, that kind of shows you that those two matches really are still extremely beloved and highly regarded by the New Japan fan base and those who are voting because they stood out in the memories of fans. But there's no denying that this year, the match of the year was the January 4th Tokyo match <laughs> between Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, just a dream match. Uh, something that is probably going to live on for years to come, something that people were shocked and awed by at the time, and it really set up a, an incredible story and, and rivalry between these two men, and it was just violent and exciting and uh, out of this world, and it's the match of the year, and it deservedly so. I, I think both of us voted that uh, number one as well. Yeah, there was no uh, doubt in my mind that that was my uh, number one pick uh, for this category Yeah that match was just absolutely incredible I, I did love the second match too But there was just something special About the aura, the build Just everything about that match On that Wrestle Kingdom stage It's because it happened in the Tokyo Dome bro <laughs> Yeah it, it was just <laughs> incredible And I think obviously this match of the year The nominees and how Things shook out in the, the voting Also credits to Will Ospreay Being a wrestler of the year He's in the top three matches here, then he was also in, you know, nominated for other matches here in the category, you know, the second match with Kenny, the ELP match. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that will Suji match that will was nominated for. So yeah, again, just gives credit to the incredible year that will had. And you know, that power struggle match, I'm glad that it, it got locked in here. Cause that match with Umino was just absolutely incredible blow away. Yeah. Uh, we had the G one match with Naito, you know, that was one I had to, you know, watch, coming back from from Europe and watch that and was blown away and yeah just incredible stuff come on Naito son you can do it <laughs> <laughs> we can finish <laughs> uh, incredible shit yeah all right the uh show of the year so uh coming in third place with 214 points AEW and NJPW presents Forbidden Door then in second place with 234 points, Sakura Genesis. And then first place with 447 points, Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Tokyo Dome. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised at the outcome here, but in a certain sense, I am. Because personally, and I know I said that there were, there were, you know, there is one category I always disagree with. This isn't that one, but I do disagree slightly. I thought Wrestle Kingdom 17 was a great show. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, the 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 main the, the top two matches at the top of the card were outstanding. But for me personally, I thought Sakura Genesis was the show of the year. 
And I was a little surprised that even though it did get recognition and love, Wrestle Kingdom 17, Wrestle Kingdom 17 really ran away with this thing. Yeah, and uh, just one correction here. Actually, third place was actually goes to uh, Dominion, which had 226 points. Uh, so oh, for, for, I've been sitting here thinking it was Forbidden Door because of the way you tallied it. I did too. I, I overlooked uh, Dominion's points. Yeah, Dominion had uh, a little bit more points there for Forbidden Door. So it was actually Dominion in third place with 226. So Forbidden Door is out of there. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> all the all the AEW haters—they got the ballot. They were like, "Nah." <laughs> well, you know, make no mistake about it. This year's uh, Forbidden Door was like a good show, and yeah, Kenny and um, Osprey was phenomenal. But it really did kind of underwhelm compared to the year prior show. Yeah, and I agree with you as well. It's like Secure Genesis being a really great show, but. I think I think I did vote for Wrestle Kingdom 17 first. I think just the that Will and Kenny match mm-hmm. just took that show to another level. And you have a debut of Mercedes Monet. You had the you know the TV title being debut with Narita and Saber in, in a big spot there. Um, There's so many great things, and you know the last um, Jay White, you no know, big New Japan Tokyo Dome main event against Okada. So there's so many great things about that show, and it kind of felt like, oh, we're back. Like we're was, back, yeah. There's so much hype. Like there are people getting up early to watch this show. People are, you know, starting their podcasts again. Like everybody's coming out of the woodworks to talk about cheering is back. Yeah, cheering is dome. back. Yeah, there was just so much uh, special stuff. There's um, also that aspect where, like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome is always happening. And regardless of how good or bad it is, it's going to have a bit of a head start because so many people tune in for that particular event, as opposed to say like a Dominion or, you know, a Sakura Genesis and that sort of thing. So um, it is kind of rare that Wrestle Kingdom loses in general in, in order for a show to beat it. Wrestle Kingdom either needs to be really bad which it never is, or the other show needs to be like God level, like, you know, Dominion in 2017 or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Forbidden Door last year. So uh, even though I personally thought Sakura Genesis was the better show and the one that sticks more in my memory, I can see why Wrestle Kingdom this past year, like endeared itself to the fan base. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, so moving on, we got the Jushin Thunder Liger Junior of the Year. So coming in at third place with 202 points, the best of the Super Junior winner, Master Wato. Coming in second place with 320 points, the current Junior Champion, El Desperado. And then in first place with 471 points, the now former champion, the ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi. Yeah, well, it was Hiromu's year, you know, um, started off the year extremely strong by winning the uh, IWGP Junior title at Wrestle Kingdom 17 in the four way and then proceeded to defend the title almost every single month for the first half of the year got to v6 essentially and then in the second half of the year uh you know went on a large tour of excursion matches across all the different companies in japan uh beating some of their top stars he spearheaded the two various all-star junior events he was clearly the mvp of best of the super juniors this past year and he had fantastic matches with a variety of opponents um 
I was wondering if like the second half, the weakness of his second half schedule might potentially affect the voting. But it was still a clear case that even though Watto won best of the Super Juniors, and even though Desperado had a claim and some great matches, like it was kind of insurmountable that one of those two candidates would be able to beat Hiromu here, and it was his year. Yeah, I mean, it was all about him this year and that that year long title run. You know, he was the behind putting together the Junior Festival in Japan, the Junior Festival in the USA. He was. Uh, wrestling a lot in other promotions, even though there were non-title matches, um, a lot of excursion matches, and yeah, a lot of uh, title defenses. I mean, everything around the junior division was him. I mean, he started off the year winning the title at Wrestle Kingdom 17 in that uh, fatal four-way. Uh, so yeah, it was just a, a really great year for Hiromi that was kind of built about him and his whole quest to beat the junior defense record. So uh, moving on, actually before one thing, I think a uh, big shout out to the Master Watto, though I know people uh, give him a hard time, and you know, he, he won Super Juniors, he had that incredible match with Teton, this is definitely the highest he's uh, ranked in our, our voting for Junior of the Year, so I think that's uh, good stuff there from Watto. Yeah. So then uh, moving on to the tag, uh, tag team of the year. So Here we go. <laughs> Uh, coming in third place with 273 points, the current never open weight six man tag team champions, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Coming in second place with 307 points, catch 2 2, TJP and Francesco Akira. And then our first place and winners and tag team of the year. The former IWGP World Tag Team Champions, but the winners of the World Tag League, Bishamon, Hiroki, Goto, and Yoshihashi. Year after year after year, (laughs) for whatever reason, I don't know what it is, we seem to get this category wrong. And I think it goes like this, Jeremy. I think it's a very simple thing. Generally speaking, not every year, but most years, whoever is the predominant you know, dominant tag team in the IWGP tag team ranks, meaning the heavyweights, they win this award. Regardless of what kind of work the junior tag team champions or the trios champions have done. And I feel strongly that, yes, Bishamon had an incredible year. There's no denying it. And anyone that voted for them, I wouldn't say, like, bullshit. You know, it's not like that. But The point disparity, now this was a closer category for sure, but the point disparity between Team Hall of Fame slash the All-Star Team slash whatever you want to call them, but Okada, Ishii, and Tanahashi versus these other two, it was too far apart in my opinion. (laughs) Like I just, when you look at how many successful title defenses they've had and how many banger matches, like just absolute standout classic matches they've had, None of the other candidates in this category stack up to them in that regard. And it's it's biased because they're a trio. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. And you look at the, the first place votes. All the first place votes are pretty close, but the second place votes really hurt Team Hall of Fame here. A lot of second place votes for Catch-22 and Bishamon. Yep. And then same with the third place votes. Um, so, yeah, I do think there are probably a lot of people that are like, this is a tag team of the year. They're a six-man team. Can't, can't be having that. So they're, they're my third-place vote. Uh, but 
Bishamon, though, World Tag League win at the beginning of the, the grading period. They were tag team champs all throughout the year, even though they you know they yep. dropped it to Aussie Open, but they got them right back and had several great defenses throughout the year. Uh, two matches with Aussie Open in the, the grading period, the match against uh, Tanahashi and Okada. Uh, there were so many great defenses, the TMDK matches, and and maybe their matches weren't like match the year blow away, but well, uh, they had a few. Yeah, uh, but I, I do think we mentioned. I think Bishamon's a very underrated team as far as their yeah. work. You know, people think, oh, you think Goto, you think Yoshihashi, you, you kind of think about their status as singles, but then you put them together and just the resume that they have as a tag team since officially forming Bishamon, and you know now three World Tag League wins, multiple tag team uh, reigns and defenses. Uh, these guys have really established themselves as a top domestic tag team. Well, here's the other thing too. This, w- this isn't the most egregious of the, uh, you know, robberies that we've seen for this award in the past. Um, if it weren't for the fact that it's happened at almost every single year <laughs> since this award has existed, I wouldn't even have sour grapes, but it's just a continuation of a trend of you know racism basically against six-man tag teams you know they, they don't, you know they're prejudiced but um <laughs> but no you know and uh shout out to catch you too because they were very close this is one of the closer categories they had a standout year too and you know i, I honestly at the beginning the first like quarter of the year the way that um obviously things didn't work out but the way that uh aussie open was going i was like damn they're gonna have like they're going to be tag team of the year, like the way things are going. And then suddenly they were just gone. And it was like, <laughs> Oh shit. Like, I guess, I guess not. But yeah, uh, yeah B- Bishamon had a fantastic year and uh, you know, they are deserved winners here. So, yeah. So uh, moving on to the Carl Gotch strong style award coming in third place with 185 points, Zach Saber jr. Coming in second place with 254 points, the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii and our winner in first place with 341 points, the fourth consecutive year in a row, the Dragon Shingo Takagi. Yeah, man. Um, You know, year after year, the way that this award is shaking out, it's basically... Who do you represent? Are you riding with Ishii or are you riding with Shingo? And most people, the last four years, they're riding with Shingo. Has he won this four years in a row? Yes. This, this year, this win is his fourth consecutive win. So we might oh need to change God. this to the Karagot <laughs> slash Shingo Takagi strong style of the year. Win. No, we can't. Here's the thing. You're right in a certain sense, but like the fact that like a predominantly Dragon Gate guy, a guy that was like trained by animal hamaguchi like <laughs> represents the strong style award is so absurd uh but yeah it's really funny and i mean you know it, it makes all the sense in the world because shingo tagagi if there's anything that president tanahashi needs to rectify when it comes to new japan pro wrestling they need to push shingo like they just need to and th- this award is evidence of that because in the in the opinions of the educated smart western fans and you know and probably japanese fans too based on the chartable rankings <laughs> um but those who vote in this award they see 
Shingo Takagi as the representative of modern day strong style. And it, it's deservedly so. You look at the matches he had with Hanare, who, by the way, has been incredible this year. But he gave Hanare the best matches of his career. Mm-hmm. The match with uh, Ishii, the match with Eddie Kingston, um, the matches with, uh, you know, just a variety of opponents. Um, tai Chi, like the list goes on and on. And, you know, it's getting to the point now that like whatever title Shingo holds at whatever given time, that's the that's the strong style belt. Like when he was the IWGP champion, strong style title. When he was, you know, never champion, same thing. When he held the KOPW, the title that means the least in all of pro wrestling, <laughs> prestige, you know, this man is is gold and they need to push him. Yeah, I mean, Shingo is absolutely incredible and also, he, he encapsulates this uh, award with the hard-hitting uh, style he does, but he also, he's very good technically. You know, you, you think back to the matches he had with uh, Zack Sabre um, in 2021, 2022, he kind of displayed some of his technical stylings there. Um, so, I, I think all around, Chingo's just an incredible performer, and yeah, this award, I think, lends to that fourth year in a row. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'm all in for a Chingo push. Um, he's definitely a guy that should be in more main events should be a, a champion all year and somebody that you, you build around. Yeah. And um, shout out to Tomohiro Ishii and Zack Sabre Jr., the runners up, you know, especially I'd like to point out Zach. I mean, he came up a little bit short in both wrestler of the year and uh strong style wrestler of the year, but his, his years are definitely being recognized by the voters. And it would be a shame if we, you know, I don't think he's going to win any awards here this year, but like, Dude, 16 successful title defenses of the KOPW title, you know, uh, being at the forefront of uh, TMDK and everything that he did this year. And I feel like 2024 is going to be a huge year for that guy. Yeah, I think Zach's going to have a really great year this year. Something very interesting, too, in in the voting, some guys that kind of came close to breaking the third place, uh, Hanare and El Desperado. And I guess shows mm. kind of the years that they've had, uh, you know, Hanare with that, uh, the last, the ultimate triad match against Shingo and just some of the other work that he's done throughout the year. Desperado, that probably got a lot of votes here with the, the Junkasai tag match in the match against Moxley from those Independence Day shows. Um, yeah. So, so shout out to those guys for getting a lot of votes here. Fucking Washington scored. <laughs> I swear to God, if we lose, I'm gonna cry on the air. Like, you're gonna see a, a grown man break down like lose the shit. Uh, next category was a, a new category that we added this year: the Joshi of the Year. Uh, and again, to clarify, this was for Joshi that competed on New Japan branded shows or were in. Strong women's title defense, IWGP women's title defenses. <laughs> and by Joshi, we mean just any women that competed. We, we mean it by the literal definition of Joshi, which means girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised we actually didn't get a lot of people being like, why do you have this category? <laughs> I'm, I still think that people voted based on the designation of what a joke, like a, a Joshi as in a designation of like female Japanese pro wrestling style wrestler as opposed to just females that wrestled. So maybe I didn't pick the, but it, I had to pick it. It's so trolly. <laughs> uh, so uh, coming in third place with 233 points, Mercedes Monet. In second place, 286 points, Mayu Iwatani. 
And then coming in first place, 526 points, the strong women's champion, Julia. You know, Jeremy, I'm not going to lie here. I couldn't add too, too much to the discourse about why Julia or Mayu scored over Mercedes. And mainly that's because the amount of uh, attention we have to give to New Japan Pro Wrestling is pretty exhaustive. And it uh, precludes me from being able to follow many other you know, wrestling promotions. So I wasn't able to follow like the exploits of Julia and Mayu in stardom. But I'm guessing that the listeners of this show probably are following what's going on in stardom to a greater degree than maybe we realized because they scored above Mercedes. Now, I will say this. In def- I can definitely see why Mercedes didn't do as well as maybe I had initially thought. Um, probably a lot of that has to do with like the controversy and the split fan responses regarding her involvement, maybe even um, you know the, the weak nature of her initial uh, debut at Wrestle Kingdom and how that kind of flopped. Um, and then, you know, she didn't stick around, you know, past like, you know, the first quarter of the year. Like you don't really hear from her too much after that. And then it looks like she's on her way to AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that kind of left a sour taste in some of the fans, um, you know, feelings about things. I will say though, if you look at our Joshi match of the year, her name shows up probably more than any of the other women that we had listed. But in defense of Mayu and in defense of um, Julia, those are two of the most recognizable names from stardom, even for someone like myself, who's just kind of a novice when it comes to, you know, current day Japanese Joshi wrestling. Those are the two biggest names that I know of. Um, So very popular in the West. And then when it comes to their title reigns, Mayu, not only, uh, you know, won the IWGP title from uh, Mercedes, but she had that incredible match with Utami earlier in the year, which I did get a chance to check out. And thus far, she's the most successful IWGP women's championship title holder that we've had. And, you know, same thing with Julia. Julia is sitting right now as we speak at seven all-time defenses mm-hmm. of the strong, open, uh, the strong women's title, which is, you know, once you, me and Jeremy were talking about this, and I don't know if you guys saw the post I, I put on um, Twitter, but once you hit like seven defenses of any title in New Japan history, you're in like rarefied air. You've hit like the top 10 all time defense records. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Plus, Julia is just loved. Like, she's got that crossover appeal. That's the reason WWE wants her. All, all the um, boys love, love Julia. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, I I can't sit here and say I saw every one of her title matches and, you know, she wasn't really predominantly featured in New Japan. I mean, she really just kind of had the the strong Independence Day show matches for the most part, but she's defended that title very proactively. She's had a lot of title defenses and she's extremely popular in her home promotion. Yeah, I think the thing that really hurt Mercedes was just being gone the second half of the year, I mean, she got that injury. What was that? I think that was like April or May uh, in the strong women's uh, title tournament. And then from there she was gone, never came back. So I think she did, she did a lot in the time she was there and had some of the better matches in that kind of short January to April, May 
time frame. But like you mentioned, when you look at what Julia and Mayu did throughout the whole calendar year, they had, there was a ton of defenses, and not to mention just how popular they are in stardom as well. So um, I could definitely see why the voting shook out this way. Yeah. So then we have the feud of the year coming in third place. With 214 points, the Reiwa Musketeers. That's Yota Suji, uh, Shota Umino, and Ren Narita. And then in second place, 345 points, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. And then in first place, 414 points, Zuchika Okada versus the New Generation. Well, one thing I, I noticed here that was really interesting, um, even though they came in third place overall, the Raywa Musketeers actually had the most second place votes of the three categories, which is pretty remarkable, which kind of tells me that a lot of people were like, I either like the Kenny Osprey match or I like Okada versus the new generation most. And then second, I like the Raywa Musketeers, you know, mm-hmm. um, which kind of tells you how how much that match endeared itself to the fan base yeah and i feel like with the the musketeers i know there's a lot of questions about the whole labeling them musketeers and them being in the a block and i know we kind of criticized that last week of all of them kind of being lumped together but clearly the fan bases are very excited about seeing these guys feud and rival and kind of see who's going to end up uh in the slot in the picking order, you, you have your Suji camp, you have your Narita camp, you have your Umino camp, and uh, they're, they're starting to kind of build up, you know, some... No, you don't. <laughs> you got your Suji camp, and you got your Umino camp. <laughs> well, the, the, there was a Narita camp. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a Narita camp. <laughs> uh, but yeah, people are kind of getting behind their, their favorite musketeers and wanting to see them succeed, and just kind of this generational rivalry they have, I think, really kind of captured people's attention uh, this year and I think some of that kind of plays into the whole Okada versus New Generation because a lot of those guys are the guys that are, are facing off against right. Okada throughout the year so I think there there is a lot of interest in the the new generation and I think again that's why these guys need to be getting pushed like people are already kind of behind them and like them and they, they need to be elevated now yeah and full disclosure when it comes to the first and second place uh categories here um Omega Osprey was very close behind Okada versus the new generation. But what it really just came down to, even though they were close, like Okada versus the the new generation just had a few more first place, second place and third place votes. So like when you looked on the graph, like they were like very close, but just a tad few more people really just enjoyed the Okada versus new generation feud across the board. And that kind of gave it that nudge. Um, and this is an interesting one because it's some it's a story that really dominated the first half of the year. And once Okada went to Forbidden Door and lost to Brian Danielson and then went into the G1, and we fully anticipated him being in a block with all of those young guys, and it didn't happen. He was supposed when, he should have been in Sonata's spot. <laughs> he should have been in Sonata's spot. And when that didn't happen, it kind of killed the whole Okada versus the new generation story. Like there was no payoff and that was the one drawback to this story. But when you look at the first half of the year and you look at the tag matches he was having um, against all these young guys, and this includes Kiyomiya. So you, you, you factor in the feud with Kiyomiya, you know, with the Noah crossover shows and the shoot kick and 
the big match that they had at the Tokyo Dome at Muto's retirement, and then the stuff he was doing with Umino and Narita in the U.S., as well as at the year end, at the tag match they had with Tanahashi, like this, and he him just being a dick to all of those guys, and then him beating up young lions for fun in in the meantime, like it was an incredible story. It just didn't get its appropriate payoff, and hopefully, it looks like in the very new fu- near future we might get a. A, an abridgment to that story because it looks like they're starting to kind of go that way with uh Fujita mm-hmm. and the team DK trio. But um it is interesting because when you look at Osprey and Omega, really that's a two match series. We don't typically like to nominate just a two match series unless it's exemplary. And obviously with that feud, you kind of <laughs> have to like right. two, two, of the- two match of the year candidates to yeah two is blow away incredible matchups <laughs> plus the promos plus the press conferences plus the acclaim and everything and you know I, I was a little surprised that didn't win um i i i will admit i think i was one of those individuals that per actually i don't remember i don't remember which one of these two i went with first i, th- I think i went with the omega osprey one first and then okada new gen second I'd have to look, but I can't turn off the game, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I will say this, though. Um, it's very rare that we have a feud of the year that's not centered around a set series of matches that's more based on the emotions of things. Like, the last time I remember this kind of happening was, like, when Suzuki and Liger won the award. And they only had the one singles match and everything else was just story beats in between. And that one that year, and I know you were like surprised when that <laughs> happened. I feel like there's going to be some like work rate aficionados. Rich Ladd is going to be listening right now and he's going to be pissed because <laughs> Kenny and Osprey, you know, got short short changed. But like, it makes sense to me as a New Japan fan, why this particular feud was the most beloved. Plus it wasn't the strongest year for feuds in general. Right. And also too, when you look with the second, uh, Omega Osprey match that kind of happened more in AEW than necessarily yep. in New Japan. Yeah, they even kind of changed the kayfabe and played around with the uh, the face heel alignment in that match as well. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the big Van Vader Gaijin of the year coming in third place with ninety eight points, the Headbanger El Fantasmo. Coming in second place with 369 points, Zack Sabre Jr. And then in first place with 620 points, Will Ospreay. Who's the most popular white guy award? (laughs) (laughs) No, um, you know, there's not much more that I can say about Will. We've already kind of, you know, sung his praises. Same thing with Zack. I will say, even though it was only the 96 points, it, I mean, granted, it was pretty clear that Zach and Will were going to be your your primary winners of this. Uh, the fact that ELP placed is kind of a, a little bit of a sign of how the fan base is viewing him as well. Yeah, but the interesting thing is he only got third place by one point. Leo Rush had 97 points and was one point away from breaking into top three which shows what a great year Leo had uh, last year in New Japan. And, you know, if he can come back or sticks around, like I think people, you know, see him as a, as a top star and we're really invested in what he did last year. Well, call up President Ace. Let's see if we can work something out. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, apparently Leo Rush is a man looking for a home right now. So, yeah, well, but I don't think we're ever going to see him again. I think he burned that bridge. Hmm. So uh, moving on to faction of the year. So coming in at third place with 231 points are dogs for real. The Bullet Club War Dogs. Wow. Coming in at second place with 291 points. United Empire. And then coming in first place, reclaiming their crown with 334 points, Los Ingobernables de Japón. Yeah, uh, for years and years, this was the LIJ Award. Um, You know, when they finally break up, we might need to call this the LIJ (laughs) Faction of the Year Award for real. Um, last year was the first year and you know, I thought two years ago that it should have been Suzuki Mm -hmm. and they didn't win. They got, they got beat slightly. And then last year, the, the, the insurmountable finally was surmounted when, uh, United empire, you know, broke the streak and, uh, you know, not since the days of undertaker (laughs) and uh, Brock Lesnar has such a prestigious streak been broken, but it, it happened and they came close again this year, but I feel like, with um, with the signing away of Aussie Open and the signing away of Will Ospreay, plus nobody knows what happened to Gideon Gray. <laughs> it's a big mystery. Um, that pretty much se- sealed their fi- their fate. And um, Lij did have a fantastic year. Uh, and you know what else? I kind of feel like, and it, I don't know if this factors in, but like obviously Sonata is part of just five guys, but like because of the mythos and the story surrounding the world title and how it's still kind of been a LIJ centric thing with all the different members challenging. I feel like that kind of elevated the status of LIJ in the, in the eyes of the fans. And you combine that with Hiroma's year, Shingo's year and uh, Naito winning the G1. It is kind of hard to disagree that they weren't the top stable in new Japan this year. Right. Also, you had the addition of Yota Suji, and he came in with a big splash coming in, uh, wrestling Dontaku, attacking yeah, Sonata, true. having a world title match at Dominion. Um, and, then, you know, there, there was Bushi, um, you know, cool. Bushi was there. He, did, he had some uh, great maths this year. Uh, Teton, Teton uh, yeah. Super Junior, uh, some uh, second place in the Super Juniors. So, yeah, across the board. And, my, and if we're talking associates, my dog Xandacon Jr. making a splash. That, that's right, yeah. Oh, wait, that's outside the grading period. We can't. Oh, uh, yeah. Count that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and you know, uh, Bull Cup War Dogs seems like, you know. A little surprised just five guys didn't make it into, you know, the talk here. Another thing, we, we didn't mention it, but we kind of got to bring it up here. Sonata, world champion all year long. Didn't place in the top three for wrestler of the year. Shane. Yeah. Or Shane. I'm pretty sure that's the first time that's ever happened where the current IWGP world champion slash heavyweight champion doesn't make a top three. And if you and you could say like, oh, it's just smart marks, blah, blah, not or, you know, it's just whatever. Look at how educated our awards have been. There's been a lot of kind of surprising, you know, results kind of showing you how tuned in those who vote in the, these awards really are. So, I mean, it's not, it's not just like, you know, these particular segments of fans, like there's a wide variety of fans and none of them thought Sonata deserved to be in the top three. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, next we have most improved. So coming in third place with 191 points, Ichiban Sweet Boy Kosei Fujita. Coming in second place with 299 points, Master Wato. And then coming in first with 338 points, the Roughneck Shota Umino. Uh, so Umino won here, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I- I'm not surprised whatsoever. Um, this is always a really close um, category because there's a lot of people. It's a very competitive field when it comes to New Japan, and they do give opportunities. And maybe people don't move up as fast as you'd like them to, but they do get pushes. They give opportunities. People often seize that. We do see people making these incremental improvements. And I mean, you you look at the beginning of the year for Umino and the perception of him, you know, just going back even just prior to the grading period and people were talking about like, I don't know, I don't know if this is the guy. And, you know, you look at the ma- the big match he had with Naito and people being like, gee, we might be in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And you finish the year and the match he had with, uh, you know, Will and everything that he did in the G1 and all that. And it's like, okay, this guy... He's on the right track. So huge improvements there. There are a lot of other guys. Uh, who were the other finalists that you mentioned? So uh, Vegeta came in third and Watto. Was and Watto. Second. You know, the, the other person I voted for, and I had very high personally, I think they were like probably fourth was like Hanare. Yeah, Hanare had 175 points. So very close to breaking into third. Yeah, very close. But, uh, you know, Fujita has really endeared himself to the fan base, so that makes a lot of sense. And then Watto, you know, speaking of what you mentioned during, uh, you know, the Jushin Liger Award, uh, even though he came in third there, like, he's never placed that high there. He's never placed as high here. And some of the attention has been off of Watto, admittedly, lately. They've been focusing as a company more on Hiromu and El Desperado, but let's not imagine that with the entire backstory between Desperado and Otto at the whole year and then through the tag tournament, that there's no way that they're not going to link up again in some way down the line. Like that shit's going to happen. And that's probably going to be the big opportunity for Watson this coming year. Mm-hmm. So the next up, we have the newcomer of the year. So coming in third place with 144 points, Drilla Maloney. Coming in second place with 397 points, Shota Umino. And then with 585 points, the Gene Blast, Yota Suji. Yeah, so this this award's always a, an interesting one because we have a lot of rules as to who qualifies. And, you know, one of those rules is uh, when you debut as a young lion, we include you. And then when you go off on your excursion, if you come back, we count that as well. Because even though it's the same person, it's a whole new character and a whole new iteration of their career. So that's kind of a, one of the unique things we do with this. The other thing too is, um, you know, if somebody debuted in the previous grading period, like for instance, Shoto Umino, he, he debuted prior to World Tag League last year, but it was in such a you know, it was basically a month out. There wasn't enough time to really get a, a grade on him. It wouldn't have been fair to inc- include him in last year's grading. If there, if it's a very short time period, we'll we'll grandfather them into the next year. So that's what we did here. 
And then uh, the other thing too is like they have to have never really wrestled for New Japan in the past. They have to kind of be part of the company and not necessarily be like, you know, a, a pr- predominantly, you know, someone that predominantly. Like, like Eddie, for, Eddie Kingston, yeah. John Moxley, guys like uh, Speedball Mike Bailey was a name that we potentially consider, but he is an impact contracted wrestler. Yeah, if, if they're contract, contracted elsewhere, we don't really consider them here. But, um, you know, cutting to the chase, Shota Umi, or I'm sorry, Yota Suji, he's been my guy since he, come, since he came back, and I know a lot of other people feel the same way, and he's really just um, beloved by the fan base and we keep saying you know time and time again even though he hasn't done anything as of yet to really prove in terms of kayfabe he hasn't gotten the big win he hasn't really achieved much he hasn't won any titles but he's just a fucking star he even (laughs) lost in the dome and like he already still feels right now like a guy that can eat a million losses and still rebound and be the top star in the company even with the major losses that he's had so far and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But like he has, he's just fucking awesome. He's got tassels. He's got long hair. He does flips. He, he does flips. <laughs> he does cool Yave shit. Like he, he does inventive moves. He's funny. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He gets it. And he, per, he like literally like gives off star aura. He's awesome. Yeah. Honestly, I think probably one of the best debuts, uh, you know, re-debuts of a young lion since we've been in the show, probably next to like Hiromu Takahashi. Yeah. You know, coming back. Incredible debut that that first match with Sonata was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> this guy is incredible. Uh, Bro, Dave Meltzer is still talking about how he should have beat Sonata. <laughs> yes. I, I agree, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, agree with everything Dave says. He says some stupid shit sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that Matt Riddle shit he said. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard him say something. I don't even remember now. <laughs> it's just Dave being an old guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Riddle in a, in a few minutes, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so uh, next up, we got the Fighting Spirit Award. So coming in third place with 209 points. Sonata finally wins the big one. He finally finished the story and placed in the Keeping It Strong Style <laughs> Awards. Coming in second place, 225 points. Osprey, the real world champion. And then coming in first place, 288 points. Naito with the G1 hat trick. Very close point totals, as you can see there. This was one of the closer categories, and it was it came down to Osprey and Naito, kind of like the G1 did in the semifinals there. But uh, Naito did end up walking away with it, and you know, uh, for good reason at his age, and you know, given all the injuries and everything like that, he was able to turn back the clock just slightly. I, I'm not gonna, you know, sit here and try to say that, that he is washed or he's an old guy, <laughs> but like. You know, there were a lot of people that were wondering if we were ever going to see another major run for Tetsuya Naito or see him ever hold championship gold ever again. And um, he's got a lot of supporters, as evidenced by this past Wrestle Kingdom. And, you know, um, when you look at the match he had with Okada, I know it didn't place in the top matches this year for our top three, but I still gave that five stars. And to me, that was one of the most special environments i've ever seen 
for uh, a pro wrestling match in New Japan history. And so, um, yeah, it was a, a really special moment, and I can see why he got the nod here for Fighting Spirit Award. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, LIJ fans were waiting for that moment and, and wanting Naito to win the G1. So, yeah, I think obviously a lot of LIJ fans, a lot of big uh, Naito supporters out there. So, yeah, definitely a, a big moment here for Naito getting that a third overall G1 career win and being able to go to the Tokyo Dome, uh, finish his story, and win the big one. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to uh, Naito there. Then Osprey, we were talking about the incredible year he had and how people saw him as the world champion. And then I know we gave Sonata uh, a hard time, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, a big moment for him to uh, finally win the IWGP world heavyweight title and to get uh, moved up into the, the main event scene. What's so special about hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, moving on to the Young Lion of the Year Award. Coming in at third place with 182 points, Bolton Oleg. Coming in second place with 348 points, Rihoi Oiwa. And then coming in first place, 546 points, Ichiban Sweet Boy, Kosei Fujita. Yeah, this was another interesting award, and you kind of never know how the fans and uh, the the participants are going to vote in terms of their considerations because we kind of just put the nomination out there. We do the, uh, you know, the awards presentation in terms of like what our nominations were and what our thinking was, but I'm sure not everybody that, that votes listens to that. So, you know, when you look at the success of Oi One Fujita in this award, you kind of have to wonder like, are they just voting based on, the time when they were categorized as young lions or are they also considering like their excursions or that weird in-between period that both of these guys seem to have where they like announced they were sort of graduated. It's kind of confusing with them. Um, But both of them very popular. They've sort of endeared themselves. And um, I I would say, you know, Fujita more so than even Oiwa at this point. And I think a lot of that alignment with Team DK has been a large part of that, plus the story that they were telling where he was a young lion as a member of Team DK, which is extremely unique. And uh, we saw a lot of growth and personality and change to his character throughout the calendar year from that. Yeah, that was definitely a very kind of unique thing to happen. I think that helped fans get invested in Fujita because he was on screen more. He would saber uh, teaming up with Robbie Eagles, teaming up with uh, Hayson Nichols. So kind of being a part of that faction while not fully graduating and then eventually graduating, doing that tour of Australia with Robbie. So yeah. I think that the fans really uh, got invested in and enjoyed the run of Fujita this year. Plus he picked up a singles win over like, I don't remember who it was. It might've been like Jado or Gato or something like that, but yeah, I think it was uh, Gato. Yeah. And that's extremely rare as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just to see a young lion pick up a win over any, you know, full roster member of New Japan. Yeah. So next up, the strong style fight of the year. 
coming in third place with 170 points. Hanare Bershingo Takagi from Road to Square Genesis, the uh, ultimate triad match. Coming in second place with 177 points. Gabe Kidd versus Kaito Kiyomiya from July 27th from the G1 Climax. And then coming in first place with 257 points, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega from January 4th, Wrestle Kingdom 17. You're sure about those points? I For some reason, I thought that uh, Gabe Kidd and Kiyomiya were third place. Uh, let me uh, pull it up and double check. Uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do this live. <laughs> uh, yeah, for 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 some reason, when I, I even before we tallied the votes, and maybe I'm incorrect here, like it just looked to me like um the ultimate triad match between Shingo and Hanari was the second place, but I could be wrong here. Yeah, let's see. Hold on. Pulling up the ballot here. Let's see. Strong style fight of the year. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see. So just give it a quick gander. You don't gotta do the points. Just take a look at that chart and tell me. (laughs) So yeah, so Hanare Shingo, they had 37 first place points. Uh, Kiyomiya and Kid had 23. See? But Kiyomiya and Kid had 36 second place and 36 third place votes. Okay, so that might have put them over the edge. Yeah. Okay, that's probably why we're, we got a little confusion here. So that's also an interesting talking point, though. So the ultimate triad match got a lot more first place votes than that, but that match kind of resonated with a lot of people's ballots for the second and third place to a higher degree and put it over the edge. So uh, that's an interesting, uh, you know, kind of talking point there. Both of those matches, extremely violent, very memorable, something that kind of sticks out, uh, you know, to, to people that were voting this year. But let's talk real quick about Osprey and Omega because, yes, they won match of the year this year. But this is a keeping it strong style fight of the year first. You know, the whole reason we instituted this entire award was we were like, generally speaking, not always, but generally, whatever is going to win match of the year is going to be like the best match. But it's not like the most violent, visceral Hard hitting, hard hitting match. Yeah, yeah. It's not like that thing that you're like, "Damn, that was crazy." And for the first time ever, the match of the year is the fight of the year, and that has never happened in the history of these awards. And while I'll admit personally, I'm pretty sure that I vote. I don't know, but I think I voted for the ultimate triad match as my number one vote. I'm not surprised that this match ran away with it because we talked about a lot of accolades of this match, but the one thing we didn't discuss in depth was just how fucking violent it was. And this wasn't even your traditional quote unquote strong style fight of the year. Normally the matches that have won this in the past typically tend to be like Ishii Shingo, Shingo Goto, like stuff like those kind of guys. 
abushi tai chi stuff where it's like full of hard strikes very you know abushi and ishii won it one year and those kinds of matches this wasn't really like structured in the sense of your you know general per rezu strong style fight this was like a dismantling and an ass kicking of epic proportions from Kenny Omega um, is beating the crap out of Will. <laughs> yeah, Kenny Omega beat the shit out of Will Ospreay so much so that it was like, fuck, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this still a work? <laughs> and they they ran away with it. So Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean that was my first place vote. I mean that was just so hard hitting, so brutal, Kenny. Brutalized that man um, You know Osprey was bleeding like crazy Like it was just such A hard hitting It was Everything about that match was, was a spectacle And yeah normally a match Your typical like big main event Like this is typically not on here because like you mentioned It's more those matches are more of your Kind of like big match pro wrestling More mm-hmm. technical Matches a lot of cool Moves with a lot of cool holes but not necessarily A lot of like big strikes or feeling a fight but this match felt like a fight osprey felt like he was fighting for his life at the end like he was trying to literally sort of just not even just win just try to survive just be able to walk out the ring on his own power um and these guys absolutely killed it very violent brutal bloody match and yeah deserves to be strong style fight of the year first ever time fight of the year match of the year in the same awards that that's astounding to me i know for a lot of people listening they're probably not that shocked by it, but us compiling these every year, they're just never the same thing. So the fact that it finally happened is kind of nuts. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the junior match of the year, coming in third place with 178 points. Hiromu Takahashi versus Leo Rush from March 21st. Coming in second place, 189 points. El Desperado versus Francesco Akira from May 21st and then the Super Juniors. And then coming in first place with 379 points, Master Wato versus Teton from May 28th, the best of the Super Junior Finals. Yeah, um, you know, Hiromu, he had some fantastic title matches this year and uh, a lot of the best matches from this year's uh, Super Juniors he was involved in, but the match that stood out to almost everybody that watched, plus with the the fact that it happens in the finals, it gets that extra set of attention, some extra eyeballs on it. Um, but Watto and Teton was a final match that nobody was expecting to get at all. Like it was on almost nobody's ballot. <laughs> yeah, and it really fucking ruled it over delivered to a a high high degree and um i'm not surprised that it's the junior match of the year whatsoever yeah it was just that match that you know as people are are doing their their fantasy booking and their pickums yeah nobody was picking these guys to be in the finals or get this far and yeah they got there i think people were even kind of questioning it like all right why teton and watto and then uh, they went out there and killed it and had an incredible blow away junior matchup and big moment for Watto, big for Teton. And yeah, definitely um, that was my number one vote. Definitely the, the junior match of the year. Yeah, if you haven't seen that match, go out of your way to watch it. Uh, Michigan struggles in the red zone, but they, they clinched a, a field goal 20 to 10. Let's go, baby. 
Actually, I'm nervous. We're not playing so hot in the second <laughs> half. So, uh, Next up, we got tag team match of the year. So coming in third place with 188 points, El Desperado and June Kasai versus Homicide and John Moxley from July 4th. That was uh, Independence Day night one. Then coming in second place with 219 points, Bishamon versus Aussie Open from April 8th. And then in first place with 243 points, Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and Shota Umino versus Team Hall of Fame from June 4th. That was Dominion. Yeah, this was... um. Since we've been doing these awards and we've instituted this category, this was easily the the most deep um, selection of tag team matches of the year. So much so that there were a lot of deserving candidates that we wound up cutting, <laughs> mm-hmm. which never happens for this category. So like this is one of the greatest tag team years in New Japan history, honestly. Um, even though it's kind of low key, you don't hear a lot of people talking about it, but when you look back at the records, you're like, damn, there's a lot of great tag matches and the winners here. It's very interesting. This is, this was another really, really, really close category so much so that the, the match from dominion with the BCC and versus, um, you know, the all-star team, they didn't win. The most first place votes that actually was uh bishamon versus uh aussie open from um sakura genesis which i thought that was going to win and up until literally like the last minute some you know a bunch of as happens every year like a last uh, a bunch of last minute votes come in those ballots and they just eat the the dominion six man just over the edge and they didn't win as many first place votes but their total mattered and that kind of goes to show you that like you really when you're voting in these awards you really have to put a lot of thought into your third second and first because you know you might think it doesn't matter but that point differential can really push someone over the edge yeah that's exactly what happened here um kind of glad this one um you know i was a big fan of this uh, (laughs) i was a big fan of this matchup Uh, i won five stars on them i thought the match was absolutely incredible i just remember watching it afterwards being like man that was just an incredible Matchup, so yeah, so no uh, six man bias here. We had a, a six man match that uh won this award here, and yeah, if you haven't watched that Dominion match, that was just absolutely incredible. Claudio's uh first time in Japan for New Japan, uh, and then just the whole the chemistry there, the rivalry with like Okada and um Umino, kind of that kind of the ending of that Okada versus New Generation rivalry there. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Any any of those three matches could have easily won, in my opinion. And you know, me personally, the the match I voted number one wasn't even didn't even place in the top three. And and I'm not a bad, you know, uh, raider and opinion taker or whatever. You know, we do we've been doing the show for a long time. I voted for the uh, Suzuki Goon um, breakup from the end of the year. Yeah, which it, it got some love. It got 143 points, so very close to getting into a third place. But that's the thing. This this year's tag team, um, you know, tag match of the year was so deep that any of anything that was on that ballot could have easily won. It just kind of depended on what got the most eyes and what endeared itself, you know, to the affections of, of the voters. So they they're all deserving. Like, and that's the great thing about these awards. If you go back and you look at what we nominated 
it is like a, a nice little playlist of the best stuff to watch from New Japan for the year. Yeah, um, I feel like in any other year that Tsugin tag could would have placed, but yeah, this year was just so stacked with incredible tag matches. It, it's not even sour grapes for me. I don't care. Like the the Dominion six man tag deserves to win, so it, it makes sense. But it's just this was a crazy year for tag team matches. Up next, uh, the second uh, part of the new category, so the Joshi match of the year. Coming in a third place with 204 points, Mayu Iwatani versus Utami Hayashista from August 13th. Coming in second place with 253 points, Mercedes Manet versus Azumi versus Hazuki from April 8th. And then coming in first place, with 331 points, Mercedes Monet versus Kyrie from February 18th. Yeah, um, again, Utami and, and um, Mayu placing as high as they did, that didn't happen in a New Japan ring that had happened in stardom. So that kind of tells you again how educated the the listening the listenership is when it comes to, uh, you know, various wrestling outside of new Japan. So that's pretty impressive. But uh, the, the main match here that won um, Kyrie versus uh, Mercedes, not only was that match phenomenal, it did incredible business here stateside. Uh, that was that what battle in the Valley. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they basically sold out battle in the Valley off the backs of those two women, um, which is, you know, a, a great showing and something kind of historic when it comes to the drawing ability of, of those girls, especially Mercedes Monet. Um, and then the match that they had was blow away. And I know for a fact that the Mercedes run didn't live up to the expectations of a lot of people, you know, the crew and, you know, different people that were very hopeful of what that might have turned out to be, but we still got this gem of a match and, you know, Kyrie's gone and Mercedes is gone, <laughs> you know, but we still got the memories. And this was undoubtedly the best women's match of the year. Uh, and, you know, I'd be curious to kind of watch it as a playback to, uh, you know, we didn't have this category last year, but it's pretty clear that the the inaugural IWGP women's match between Mayu and Kyrie would have definitely won last year if we'd had this category mm-hmm. we just didn't have enough uh you know there wasn't enough women's matches in new japan at the time to even do this sort of uh category but i'd be interested to see how those two matches play against one another as like the all-time new japan women's match as of now yeah definitely be fun to, to watch those back yeah this match was great they took a lot of crazy bumps in there and i think uh, mercedes kind of proved to people that you know she can still go and she is as great as people say she is and um it definitely kind of made us feel a little bit optimistic all right all right what can they actually do with this title or they can do some more great matches like this stuff like that also that didn't pan out but still uh a big moment great matchup and would you know if things could work out i know the the, the scuttlebutt on on the town is that mercedes is heading to AEW. But if there was any chance for her to come back and do some more stuff uh, for the strong or IWGP women's title or uh, show up and start them again, I think that would be great. Washington scores a, uh, a field goal on the 30 yard line. So 13 to 20, it's a <laughs> one goal game. Very close. I'm nervous as fuck. 
next up, we got the excursion match of the year. Definitely. Oh, we're almost done. Yeah, we're on, we're on the home stretch here. This uh, category definitely a, a labor of love throughout the year. Uh, Josh does a, a lot of work on this one for sure, and keeping track of this and and getting. It's the, the only thing I do work on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, let's see here. Coming in third place with one hundred and fifty-eight points, Will Osprey versus Speedball Mike Bailey. From Impact, this was uh, October 21st. Then coming in second place with 236 points, Kazuchika Okada versus Kaito Kiyomiya from the Noah show from February 21st. And then coming in first place with 410 points, Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the AW October 1st pay-per-view Wrestle Dream. So one thing I will say, uh, obviously, you know, I've already made my opinions about Mike Bailey and, and Osprey known on the show. If you didn't hear it, it's in the archive. Um, great match. I wasn't as high in it as everybody else was, but it clearly struck a chord with a large segment of the audience and rightfully so. But what really surprised me here is Okada and Kiyomiya as the mm-hmm. number two because there was some really great matches. Like I said earlier, this is a playlist of some of the best stuff that you can watch all year. But the fact that so many people voted for this particular match, which I'll I'll tell you straight up, I thought the match was incredible. We, we praised it at the time. We kind of got blasted for how complimentary we were of the match at the time. And I don't know like if it's just kind of, you know, stayed in the back of the minds and hearts of, of the listenership. I don't know, but there were a lot of matches that we have nominated here that I saw that I personally think were much better just across the board, but people are in to Kiyomiya and Okada new Japan office, Rocky, whoever you are, whoever is listening <laughs> that, that is connected to new Japan. The fans do not want to see Kiyomiya jobbed out and relegated to a no-name nobody. The the New Japan fans fucking love this guy. Like, they really do. And this is all the evidence in the world. There is still, even though you guys fucked up his run and you booked him into oblivion, there's money in Okada and Kiyomiya. Maybe you guys should go out and make some of that. Yeah, I, I don't. Understand the booking of Kiyomiya, but you know clearly here the, the people are really dug this match, and I felt at the time there were a lot of people who criticized the match, didn't really like the match, thought that you know it was too one sided with Okada just kind of beating up Kiyomiya, but clearly there was a lot of crying. Yeah, there was, but uh, you know clearly this audience, the people who voted here, they really enjoyed that matchup uh, for what it was, and would have probably like to see more of that rivalry and. Yeah, they they kind of dropped the ball with the follow up there. I feel like there could be there could have been more, you know, not having Kiyomiya and Okada face off in the G one uh, quarterfinals was definitely a weird call. Uh, but yeah, great matchup here, and you know it's funny every year when we work on these nominees and put this category together, there always is a large collection of Will Osprey matches, and Josh is always like. We we can't put all these Osprey matches on here. And then, bro, it's impossible because if we if we put every top end Osprey match that he had, they it, the the award would just be Osprey matches. I know, but the funny thing is, I don't think he's actually ever won this award. 
<laughs> you know, he has. He he won it with um him and Zack Saber Jr. from Rev Pro won it. Okay, one year. okay, yeah, that won it one year, but most years like you either play it or doesn't play it at all, and something else <laughs> wins. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Yeah, people all see it. And they they loved uh, Danielson Saber, and uh, that was our, our winner here. Yeah, uh, very often the match that wins is whatever is the best match that also happened to take place in front of the most eyeballs. So not necessarily like the best match, but the one that had the most critical claim plus buzz and just was easily accessible by a lot of people. And that's not to detract from what Danielson and Zack Sabre did, but it's just kind of show you like there were other matches that are probably in the same range, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the benefit of why we do this is to show you what's going on out there. But like, it it was pretty much an open and shut case that it was going to be Danielson and Sabre. And this was not a close category as most years. It usually isn't. Um, And they had one of the best classical technical wrestling stories that we've seen in years. Um, You know, I I know our friends over at one nation radio are still, you know, uh, not necessarily in agreement with the uh, cage match score on this one, (laughs) (laughs) even though they liked the match, but uh, yeah, it it was one of the highest ranking matches of the year. Uh, A lot of people, I think that there is, there is actually an audience that, is wanting to see this type of wrestling and they're not getting enough of it currently. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of like, wow, you know, I'm blown away. Like Bret Hart style, not the shit, not like CM Punk, Bret Hart style wrestling, but like (laughs) real, the the real. Yeah. (laughs) They were just blown away by that British, you know, catch as catch, uh, you know, styling, um, incredible match and, uh, very much deservedly won this award. So now we're at our second to last category here, the angle of the year. So coming in at third place with 157 points, just four guys becomes just five guys. So Sonata leaving LIJ and becoming the leader of just five guys in second place with 266 points. Yota Suji returns that that big angle we talked about earlier from Dantaku and then in first place with 507 points Kiyomiya shoot kicks Okada yeah that was the runaway winner and it was very um we had some slight not I mean me and Jeremy never really debate but we we were dialoguing about whether we should even include that because it wasn't your typical traditional angle, you know, it was something that took place in the middle of a match, but sometimes the best angles can take place in the middle of a match just depends on how it's presented. And, you know, the match broke down and like to this day, we still kind of don't know how real or how fake any of that even was. Um, And I'm, I'm kind of like still, you know, the lines are blurred there. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the biggest things that got people talking all year long and um, an incredible segment. Yeah, it, it's hard not to visualize Kiyomiya's foot just wrapping around Okada's face. Like you just mentioned that moment. I can instantly visualize th- that boot just whack across Okada's face and then what happened afterwards. Bro, we nominated that match for fight of the year and you and I were both like, 
I don't even know if it should be on there because it wasn't like a great match, but we're like, damn, it was, but it's like the most fucking violent thing that happened all year. Yeah, it's got to get nominated. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not surprised here. And again, you know, um, Okada versus Kiyomiya, it wins, you know, it, it's in the feud of the year category. And it also wins, uh, you know, feud of the well, excursion. Oh yeah, the excursion match of the year, and then it wins, uh, you know, angle of the year. So I mean, that really left an indelible mark to people. And it's, I think it does kind of show you that like New Japan, they they failed to follow up on something that was really popular with people. Yeah. All right, our final category here, the news story of the year. So coming in third place with 229 points, Mercedes Monet signs with Bushi Road. Coming in second place with 320 points, Kenny Omega returns. And then in first place, our top news story of 2023, with 357 points, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Aussie Open, and Kevin Kelly sign with All Elite Wrestling. Yeah, this was a, a kind of, we're kind of cheating there because we're mixing a lot of different news stories into one, which is basically like essentially a silent talent raid from <laughs> AEW on New Japan. And uh, it's like, you know, again, a close category. The the second place was a really positive story. Kenny returning to New Japan. And then the first place was a really negative story <laughs> in AEW signing away a lot of New Japan's top talent. And, uh, you know, this one just slightly resonated more. I, I was surprised that the Kenny one did so well. I think I was advocating to, like, leave that off new story of the year entirely at one point. No, no, no. Yeah, big big Ken almost uh, got the first place vote here, and it shows you how much people uh, love Kenny Omega and what he means to the the New Japan audience. Bro, he only wrestled one match the whole year. He almost won like three uh, or four awards two, this year. Two matches. He also had the uh, the New Year's Dash match. <laughs> oh yeah, he he wrestled two. <laughs> You're correcting me. <laughs> He wrestled like three matches or two matches, three if you count Forbidden Door <laughs> and, uh, you know, two in Japan. And he, he almost won a bunch of fucking awards again. Uh, like the good old days. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Um, people, pe- people not feeling um, all these people leaving for AEW. Yeah, we, we've heard uh, a lot of, you know, the vocal fan base and their displeasure on the way. The partnership has been working with AEW and New Japan, the, the booking of some of the, the cross-promotion matches and stuff like that. So, yeah, a, a lot of people, I think, uh, really felt it with all these guys leaving and uh, jumping ship. But don't worry, because, yes, we might have taken Kevin Kelly and Jay White and Aussie Open and Juice Robinson and Will Ospreay, but Brian Danielson lost in the Tokyo Dome, so you guys are good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, Muto retired. Also, also Kevin. Um, also, um, like fucking Eddie Kingston's about to break an all-time like <laughs> defense record in New Japan, but it's all being booked by Tony Khan. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Muto retiring, almost uh, broken in third place, uh, two hundred and twelve points. Probably a lot of people very happy that 
He's, yeah, I wasn't sure if people were reverent or happy about that. It was hard to tell. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is the awards. We did have one question about this from a Reddit user, uh, my base baseball. With how long you guys have done the year and awards, have you noticed any shift in what your audience likes? Or generally, how do you feel both of your individual tastes differ from that of your listeners? Oh, um, you know, I, I'll say this. I think that over the years, and I'm, I would not say this if I didn't think it was true. I think that our li- our voters have gotten smarter and more engaged and have gained a deeper knowledge and appreciation of the product as the years have gone by. When we first started and we were new kids on the block, you kind of had a, I would say, generally speaking, just your very, you know, New Japan was blowing up and you had like your surface level bullet club slash elite style fans that were kind of permeating the voting. Plus we didn't have the far reach in our early days to get as many voters as we do now, or we have for several years now. Um, But as time has gone on, I mean, I'm usually mostly in agreement with what our voters uh, vote. We do from time to time defer, but it's usually pretty small. And most of the people we're nominating, we're nominating them for a good reason to begin with in the first place. So um, yeah, I'm not usually that surprised by the voting too often. Yeah, I would say overall, I feel like our listenership is pretty much in line with yeah how we're thinking. And um, like you said, for the nominees, like we're not putting stuff on there that we don't think deserve it. So if something wins, it wins. I mean, I think there's a couple times where there's a few things that we disagree with, and then it's, you know we joked about you know tag team of the year stuff like with the young bucks, you know beating War Machine and. They should have never beat War Machine. That's what started all of this. <laughs> and like you mentioned, we had more of that kind of Bullet Club fan base, uh, you know, in the beginning of our, our listenership. Um, so, yeah, but besides that, I think, yeah, the fan base has uh, kind of agree with our tastes, very similar tastes. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, the major change is just kind of that Bullet Club elite fan base kind of leaving. And you're, kind of, you're getting your more kind of diehard uh, New Japan fans. The only year where I ever felt like looking at the awards was like, what the fuck are we doing? Was the first, like 2020, the first year of the pandemic. But it was such a weird year. Yeah. You know, it it was hard to predict what was going to happen regardless. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up the awards. Thank you, everybody, for voting. We will be posting uh, out the the graphics uh, later this week. Uh, So, we can tag all the wrestlers and, you know, they could retweet and hopefully disagree maybe. or agree with what they vote, what uh, won. Uh, so, yeah, so good stuff there. Now we're going to move on to our Battle in the Valley preview. So Battle in the Valley coming up this weekend in San Jose. Uh, we've got, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we will be previewing this next week. It is, um, Still undecided whether I'll be on the show or not. Uh, full disclosure, I am taking my Series 65 test, not this coming Friday, but the fo- the Friday following, which is the same week as we record next week. So while I will be watching Battle in the Valley, I, it depends on how confident I'm feeling about the test. Um, if time is permitting, then I, I'll, I'll show up on the show. Uh, we are considering having a guest host, but, uh, you know, worst case scenario, you might be hearing the... Uh, solo tones of jeremy donovan <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll uh get somebody on of us next week 
Uh, but yeah, Battle and Valley uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, got two pre-show matches. So first, we got the return of the Strong Survivor match as Matt Vandegrift will take on Goldie. So again, the whole concept of the Strong Survivor match: these are students from the NJPW Academy, and it's kind of like a, a win and you're in. You keep winning to kind of earn spots on these U.S. pay-per-views. And Matt Vandegrift, I believe he's won two or three of these matches now. Jeremy, I've seen both of these guys. I've reviewed their matches live on this program. I don't remember what either of these people look like. I don't remember what they stand for, who they are. I just know their names. So, yeah, I'm guessing I'll see them again here shortly, but uh, I don't know who they are. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) There's some dudes. Yeah, I mean, Matt Vandegrift, I mean, these matches have been like five minutes. He's like, Fine for those five minutes, so I'm guessing he's probably going to win again and uh, keep his streak going. I'll tell you this much, you know, and I don't want to shit on them because I'm sure they're prospective wrestlers. They probably are talented, but, you know, from what I've seen come out of the academy, they're not exactly Carl Fredericks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the second pre-show match is going to be a NJPW Strong Women's Title Number One Contendership match as Stephanie Bakur will take on Viva Van. I don't know who Viva Van is. Uh, she's been uh, on a lot of AEW Dark, um, kind of all over the independent scene. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all <laughs> I got on her. Well, I, I like Stephanie Vecor. I'm sure she's going to win, and she'll be the next number one contender for the strong title. Yeah. Which I don't know why we have two women's titles, but we do. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, now we go into the beginning of the main card. It will open up with Fred Rosser, Jacob Fatu, and Shota Umino taking on the team filthy team of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and filthy Tom Lawler. Uh, good to see filthy Tom and, uh, you know, team filthy wrestling here. I wasn't sure if they still worked for this company or not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Uh, glad they're on the main card, not the pre-show. <laughs> Him and uh, Rosser were the last show. Uh, but, yeah, so kind of this continuation of the feud between Fred Rosser, Tom Lawler. Uh, I think it was Jerrell Nelson that tweeted, you know, like every year, you know, we, we beat up on, on Fred Rosser. So the, the tradition continues, the, the the blood rivalry here between Rosser and Tom Lawler. We got a, a debuting Jacob Fat Two, uh, who's, uh, you know, turns heads on the independence and an MLW very talented guy. Yeah. Uh, it'll be good to see Jacob Fatu. Um, you know, as far as the whole thing with Fred Rosser, I mean, I'm a little confused because correct me if I'm wrong. The last time we had a new Japan strong show, he paid respect and was, you know, re- returned respect from filthy Tom Waller. So I sort of thought that maybe that whole thing was, uh, was ending, but apparently they're just going to keep feuding into perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had the pretty show match. They seemed like they showed respect, but no, never mind that. We, we <laughs> Yeah. And it, and it seemed at the time, like it was leading to something down, like maybe them teaming together Being in world tag league. Cause it was right before the tournament. Yeah. It just, it didn't pan out for whatever reason, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, you know, Show to Umino's here, so yay. <laughs> uh, then following that, our good friend Rocky Romero will team up with Soberano Jr. to take on Mascarada 2.0 and Bolador Jr. 
our good friend Rocky Romero has gotten all of his good friends on the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, he wrestles as a heel in uh, CMLL. So does Sobrano Jr. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of uh, lean into that a bit. But um, they're going up against Mascara Dorada and Volador Jr. Mascara Dorada, you know, recently unseated uh, Rocky Romero from the CMLL World Historic Ultimate title. And he feuded over that title of Volador Jr. this past year. So um be interesting to see if something develops out of this match. I'm wondering if like maybe we see Mascara Dorada and, and uh Soberano Jr. kind of spark something up and continue that over in New Mexico. Maybe not. But um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about too much on the show, Soberano Jr., he's signed to a new Japan contract. And um we haven't heard too much follow-up from that. This is gonna be his first like quote-unquote contracted date with the company or at least since it's been made public that he's signed to the to the brand and uh last time that a luchador was signed to a dual contract was like um dragon lee when he was signed as really and then the the pandemic hit and he never worked for the company ever again he yeah. just left and prior to that was like mascara dorada the original um and New Japan signed him and then he never came over and he hardly ever worked for the company. And then he was just getting paid to be signed and it didn't lead to anything. So it's going to be interesting to see if they like actually utilize him because he's a really talented guy. I'd love to see them kind of bring him into the fold for real. Yeah, he's definitely a great addition to the roster. I think he's going to be also a part of Fantastic Mania. Uh, assuming he'll be maybe in Best Super Juniors, even though they did have him in World Tag League as a heavyweight. He, do, he does have the, the heavyweight height. I think uh, they see him as a heavyweight now, to be honest. Yeah, so maybe he pops up in uh, New Japan Cup. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of integrate him here. So then uh, following that, we have TJP taking on the IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion David Finley in a non-title match. This is going to build up into the five-on-five War Dogs versus United Empire match that's going to be coming up uh, next month. Yeah, at the tail end of the fallout from the no-contest match that these two teams had against one another at New Year's Dash, uh, TJP spewed red mist into the face of David Finley. And as we all know, as highlighted by the kayfabe in WWE, red mist means that it not only blinds, but it burns the eyes. And I'm sure that Nakamura and Cody Rhodes are keeping up with that kayfabe and very much applying it. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, TJP spewed the red mist into um, David Finley's face. And that's kind of leading to this match. I didn't see the post-match comments coming out of New Year's Dash, but I heard that there was a comment from uh, Will Ospreay where basically he asked who was going to lead the group in his stead. And TJ said, TJP said that he was going to stand up. And I, I saw discourse online where people were like, you know, has there ever been a junior that led uh, a group in New Japan? And, you know, people were quick to remind that, like, Fergal Devitt did it. And, you know, Kenny Omega technically was, you know, a junior when he first manned the helm of Bullet Club. And, you know, my response to all that is TJP ain't them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think the big question leading into this match, though, is like, why isn't the title on the line? And number two, is TJP going to show up with the gimmicks? The, the Aswang. The, yeah, I didn't even want to. I was going to say Quang. Like, from, 
<laughs> like from 1995 WWF, but uh, I don't remember. Couldn't remember what it was. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it should, should be a fine match. I'm obviously expecting Dave Finley to get the win here, and I'm sure it'll be some angle that builds heat to the the five on five. And when you say fine, you mean a, a fine little three star match. Yes, gentlemen's yeah. three. Gentlemen's three. Uh, following that, we will have the NJPW Strong Open Weight Tag Team Title Match. The champions, Gorillas of Destiny, El Fantasma, and Hikaleo, will defend against the Bullet Club War Dogs team of Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors. Yeah. Um, so this one's interesting because, and this is for the strong titles, right? Right. Only the strong tag titles. So that's interesting that only the strong titles are on the line here. Um, maybe that's to give us a sense of possibility for uh, the, the Bullet Club War Dogs to pick up the win and, um, you know, be those new champions. The other thing, too, is like Clark Connors has regularly been teaming with Drill Maloney and Alex Coughlin has regularly been teaming with Gabe Kidd. And although these two guys have a lot of history together going back to the L.A. Dojo, and they're no strangers to tag team wrestling. They just haven't been portrayed within the strict guidelines of junior and heavyweight alignment as tag team partners. But they stand a chance to win these belts here. And maybe, maybe New Japan doesn't want to merge the tag team titles, and they do intend to move those never or not never, but strong belts off of uh, God. Although I do think it would be a strange decision to have your new newly crowned double champions drop the blue belts just six, you know, or like a week or two after they won the belts at wrestle kingdom. So I'm anticipating God to pick up the win here. And I'm kind of thinking that, uh, you know, it's a red herring, the, the whole thing where they're only vying for the one belt. Yeah. I think God is going to win as well, even though like I wouldn't really want the war dogs losing either going into the whole, Five on five cage against United Empire, but I guess they need to throw somebody in there. Uh, so yeah, I expect ELP and uh, Hikaleo to retain here. The other thing too is like New Japan just doesn't seem to give a fuck about the War Dogs unless their name is David Finley. <laughs> That's true. Um, then following that, we will have the NJPW Strong Women's Title Match. Julia will defend against Trish Adora. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, Julia sitting at seven title defenses. Um, you know, Trisha Dora, she does come out of the uh, New Japan Academy LA Dojo. Um, someone that they probably see uh, some upside in. They've had her uh, headline some of those LA showcase shows recently. Um, and, I, and with the rumors of Julia leaving um, to go to WWE here in the near future... I don't think it's entirely an impossibility that she loses to Trisha Dora here. Uh, the other possibility, though, if you think about it, I'm pretty sure Stephanie Vacquer is going to win no matter what. And so there's probably three possibilities here. One, you have Trisha Dora win, and the strong belt is relegated back to the U.S. like it was originally intended, and we get Trish versus Stephanie down the line. That's the next big match. The other thing is I could kind of see Julia retaining here and then either facing Stephanie and dropping the belt to Stephanie down the line or what I kind of think is more likely 
she drops it to another big name Joshi in like one of her final defenses, and then that person comes over and defends against Stephanie McQuirk. Yeah, all those are good scenarios that could play out. It just really depends on uh, when when slash if Julia is leaving. All the reports are that she is signed with WWE and will be reporting to NXT soon, and that's why you know Donald Del Mondo broke up and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I guess it depends on when she's leaving. If she's leaving pretty soon, then I expect Trisha Dora to win the title here. She's kind of one of the top prospects out of the NJPW Academy. Uh, you know, top in indie women's wrestler. She's done a lot of uh, Ring of Honor and AW Dark stuff. So, wouldn't surprise me if they did want to kind of give her a big win. Then yeah, you could set her and Stephanie up. Uh, but yeah, if Julia's gonna be around for a little bit longer, then yeah, maybe you do have her win and set up that a big match with uh, Stephanie Recur, like you mentioned. Maybe she drops it to Mayu, unify those belts, and you do a Mayu versus Stephanie again. Or uh, I, I think that that I think either like her losing to Mayu on the way out, unifying the belts, or she loses to just some other more marketable you know i don't know i know there's been a lot of injuries in stardom and i i don't pretend to be a stardom uh expert but you know there's quite a few you know women over there that they could easily put the belt on and then have them fulfill that role where they come over and you know do the u.s dates and she could you know do the job on the way out to one of them i i'm leaning that way like don't get me wrong i've heard great things about trisha dora i don't I've, i've never seen her wrestle but i she's got a reputation as a good worker and everything like that, but they've never even shown her on a strong show before. So yeah, I'm kind of thinking that she beats Trisha Dora and then her next big singles match in Japan, which will probably be fairly soon because they run a lot of shows over there. She'll drop the title. Gotcha. That's my guess. Yeah. I, I have no solid prediction here. Uh, yeah, but it should be a good match. Then uh, next up, we have a tag match with uh, TMDK's Bad Dude Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Matt Riddle and a mystery partner. I'm very excited to see the return of Bad Dude Tito. Yes, me too. Always great seeing uh, Bad Dude Tito. Next match. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, this is, uh, you know, we'll get to the news here, but it doesn't look like this is the only match that we're going to see a Matt Riddle. In fact, it's not even just this and the Tanahashi match, but you know, the news is basically that he's going to be working for a tour at least when it comes to Matt Riddle. Um, I don't know who his partner could possibly be. And, you know, um, it could be someone great. It could be someone terrible. It doesn't really mask the reality of the, negative connotation and controversy around new Japan using Matt Riddle in general. Yeah. Uh, I have no, I mean, it'll probably be some other former WWE guy that got released recently. Um, or maybe you, you find like a catch point guy, Timothy Thatcher or somebody who knows. I don't even really care to speculate it does, to me. Honestly, this is a match that bro, I don't want to see Matt Riddle in this company. Like I just don't, I, I, and I know I'm not alone here. Um, again, um, you know, if, if you're one of those fans who likes them, you know, all the more power to you, I guess. But I know that there's a large audience and segment of the fan base that don't want to see him there. 
I think that you should let your voices be heard. I think you should vote with your dollars. I think you should take action to let the company know like, hey, I don't fuck with this dude. Yeah. So then uh, following that, we will have a uh, AW Continental Crown title match as Eddie Kingston will defend against Gabe Kidd. Uh, In the backstage comments, Gabe Kidd said he was only challenging for the strong title, but it seems like this is going to be for all three titles. Well, you know, communication is not always the strongest uh, thing when it comes to Eddie Kingston and New Japan and Tony Khan and you know this wouldn't be the first time there's been miscommunication when it comes to the plans for these belts so makes sense to me but um if you've ever seen Eddie Kingston versus Gabe Kidd from New Japan Strong that match fucking rules this match is going to bang hard and I can't wait to see it um it is funny though that like so I made a a thread and I've alluded to it a few times in the show here, detailing the all-time title defense records in New Japan, not just modern time, but all time. And it's kind of like the highest anyone's ever had was like Anoki, 30 single title defenses in a single reign. And then, you know, once you get to like seven, there's a lot of people that have reached seven. They're all tied for number 10. And when I made that thread, um, Eddie Kingston was like at eight already, which is like pretty great. But then, like, since I posted that thread, he's already won another title defense on TV against uh, uh, Trent Beretta. So now he's at nine. And then this past week, he said that before he gets to battle in the Valley, he wants to have another title defense on TV. (laughs) So he's going to get to 10. Bro, when you get to 10 in New Japan, you're in such rarefied air. Like, There's only like literally a handful of dudes that have ever gotten 10 successful tile defenses in a single reign. And he's going to already be at 10. And I don't think he's losing to Gabe Kidd. So he's going to be at like fucking 11. And I'm like, are we about to see like an Orange Cassidy 24 title defense level record reign for Eddie Kingston? And like by technicality, just because he happens to have a New Japan title, like Tony Khan is going to alter (laughs) <laughs> the record books for new Japan, like that's going to piss a lot of people off if they ever figure that out. And like, it's only weirdos like me. that are actually tracking it and realizing what the fuck is happening. I don't even <laughs> think they know. Yeah. They probably have no idea, but they don't care. You know. Yeah. But it's going to, he's going to, he's going to be like slotted between tiger mask and Fujinami, like number three all time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's going to be an incredible matchup, though, especially if they get time. Yeah, their strong TV uh, match a couple years ago was absolutely incredible. Strong style, five of the year contender. Uh, so yeah, this should be great. But yeah, Eddie Kingston's uh, retaining. Yeah, it, it, Tony Khan would never let Gabe Kidd win here. But in my perfect world, the most chaotic version of this is where Gabe Kidd wins all three belts and then he fucking throws down the triple the the, the crown belt and <laughs> yeah. the roh belt and declares that only the strong belt matters yes <laughs> um, so then uh semi-main event no dq match between the dragon shingo takagi and john moxley i'm glad we're getting this match and this is only the second time they've ever had a singles match. And the last time was like at Dragon Gate USA years and years and years. Uh, did like didn't they wrestle in the G1? <gasps> they did. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that match is pretty good too. I forgot about that. That's true. Um, so this is the third time they've wrestled, you know, and I'm not checking cage match, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But uh, I don't know that I need to see it as a no DQ match because it feels like every time New Japan comes to America, they feel the need to do a plunder match. And it don't get me wrong. I'm not against a good plunder match here and there but like why do they feel the need to do it every time they come to america you know well because they're the the fans that will just chant we want tables a whole match until they see somebody go through a table until like oh we, we got a book for them so that's true fucking stupid americans <laughs> <laughs> and plus you know john moxley will look for any excuse to blade so I'm sure the match is going to really deliver considering who's involved in it. So I'm not too, too like against it. But at the same time, I'm like, this came out of nowhere. Like literally like Shingo just accosted this man in the backstage is like, no DQ, you and me. And he was like, fuck yeah, let's run it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, definitely a great matchup to have here. Kind of wish it was maybe on a, a bigger New Japan show, but. Or I wish that they would have let us know that this shit was happening so we could have been booked there a plane yeah. and gone and watched it. Yeah. Would have been a great match to see live, but I was expecting uh, Moxley to get the win here. Yeah. We're, we're back to, uh, you know, AEW guys not losing. So, <laughs> and then the big main event of the evening will be the rainmaker Kazuchika Okada fresh off of his win from Brian Nelson taking on, Will Ospreay. This is probably going to be the last time they face each other in for a while. Probably for a while, as Will seems to be his last big singles match in New Japan. Um. Yeah. I mean, until the the, the cage match, this is the last big singles match, and um, I don't really know how to feel about it. I mean, it, it's happening in America, and you have to wonder. I mean, it's really one of two outcomes: either. Will has never gotten a major singles win over Okada. You know, the two times he beat him, one was in the G1 uh, years ago when he turned heel and started the United Empire, and that was due to outside interference from Great Okan. And then the last time was in this most recent G1, which kind of happened in the middle of the the uh, the you know the tour. And wasn't quite in the size building or as heralded as you might have expected, especially given the 20 minute time limit that was constraint that was placed on them. So I am kind of wondering, like, is this a gold watch at a boy? Let's finally pay off the story. You know, this is important to Osprey. This is important to Okada that Osprey finally climbed the mountain in a major way before he leaves to go off from the company. Or is this you will never surpass me and I am great. I am greater than you. And I w I'm going to fucking let everybody know it. And yeah, you might leave and you might go off and you might do great things, but you are always little brother and you will, it's going to be proven here. This is it. This is the solidifying stamp on their feud that Okada was always better. And that's, you know, he's going to do business on the way out and put over the top guy. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing Osprey win this match. I feel like for really, his, yeah, I feel like for his character and the story of the rivalry, he should win. But because he's leaving, I think he's losing. 
Uh, right. I, but then, but the Tony Khan factor. True, but he did also got pinned by Dave Finley in the dome. Um, so if you're okay with Dave Finley pinning him, I think you're okay with Okada pinning him. Um, but it might be like, we'll let him do one major job on the way out. And that's drop, you know, that's the title match in the Tokyo dome with, you know, but he's not losing anymore before he leaves. It could be something like that. Could, could be. I don't know. I, I see this man eating a rainmaker and last big oh. moment. Also, we don't know if Okada's really sticking around anyway, so that's the other part of that. Uh, like, Okada's sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think Okada's winning too. But I'm uh this is one where it's it's hard to say and I think it could go either way, honestly. But um, you know, when you, me and Samsa were doing the preview before Wrestle Kingdom and I was saying like I was a little torn about the different outcomes because it seemed very clear that Okada was gonna beat Danielson. It was hard for me to imagine that he was going to turn around and job a week later to Osprey, no matter what the circumstances were. So just by that same logic, I don't think Osprey is going to beat Okada right after Okada just beat Danielson. It, yeah. it kind of would nullify the effect of his win over Danielson. And also it's a 60-minute uh, a lot of time limit, and this is a big card, so I don't see an hour-long draw happening. So... I think, I think now, here's my question to you, and maybe I should have prefaced this. How do we watch this? Is this only on fight? Is this going to be on fight? And uh, I believe this is going to be on Thriller TV, which is the uh, new name for uh, Fight TV. You mean Triller? Yeah. Okay. So it's not Fight anymore. It's Triller now? Yes, it's now uh, Triller TV. Oh, I didn't realize that. Those fucking... <laughs> those grifters yeah so that's that's where you watch it yeah it's not gonna i think it might be uh japanese commentary on new japan world but for english commentary you, you gotta go to a thriller i'm gonna look because i really don't know yeah I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the site right now what does it say well it says watch live on fight they haven't updated it but yeah it's uh watch live on fight or thriller tv it could this be a scenario where we can only watch it on fight uh, maybe it doesn't say, I'm not seeing anything about New Japan World, but usually they will put up. Uh, I'm gonna look at the schedule and see. Let's see going so, on. schedule for January. Oh my god, there's Scott Steiner in your background. Bat, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Battle in the Valley is only available to users in Japan on New Japan World. Gotcha. So, we can only watch this via Triller. So, um, we need to shoot off an email and see if someone will fucking send us a code because this is getting kind of ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, we might be blacklisted, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, uh, you know, we'll make some calls. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that. It does seem like it'll probably be video on demand afterwards. It's not extremely clear on uh, New Japan World, but as of right now, it just says it's only available to users in Japan. And normally they play it on VOD like a uh, later, but they haven't specified when that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, they have a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. He says, Battle in the Valley looks like a pretty good car to top, top the bottom. 
relative to recent U.S. shows. Since they have announced a significantly bigger venue for the Chicago show later this year, my assumption is they are playing something like the bigger pre-pandemic shows. Thoughts? Yeah, I uh, I don't know what's going to be on that show. Um, I would love to find out if it's worthy of our time because, you know, I, I like Chicago. I wouldn't mind uh, making my way out to the Windy City, you know, but yeah. um, it kind of depends on what they're planning to do because if they come with the bullshit, I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, I feel for that building, you know, 10,000 plus. If they want to do a big house, yeah, they, they got to do a big card. I mean, there's some pretty big matches on this one. So, yeah, I'm wondering what the – you know, ace up their sleeve, they have planned for that Chicago show. Uh, if they do Okada Naito, I'll go. Yeah, you could have do that first. That would be, be first time in the U.S., right? Okada Naito. Yeah, but if you notice, they don't ever really put Naito in a prominent spot in the U.S. hardly ever. So, you know, but it, it is interesting, you know, it's in uh, what in when is that show? June? That is April 12th. Okay. So that's like kind of firmly in between um wrestlemania you know in that's taking place in march and then in may you've got the AEW pay-per-view so uh, i guess that's a, as good a spot as you can hope for but it is kind of nestled between two bigger kind of flying crowd sort of events taking place in the same part of the calendar year mm-hmm. um but again they are in the chicago market they're probably counting on that being a, a strong selling point um but you know it's like we always like to joke, you know, they got a card, you know, <laughs> you people ask if we're going somewhere. <laughs> you got a card. Yeah. I mean, that they could do uh Moxley Okada for the first time. That's a big one. Yeah. But I kind of feel like that's a forbidden door match that too. So I don't know. Omega, Omega Okada. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh man. I would definitely be there. <laughs> I mean, as of right now, I'm like tentatively thinking. I, I don't know. I got some. I got some points stored up. I'm. A, I could probably get a flight for not so, not too much. Yeah. You know, we got some friends in Chicago. Yeah, we do. All right. Well, that's gonna wrap up the uh, Battle in the Valley preview. Want to take us uh, through the news? Oh, uh, I guess I got. I'll well, shut on. well, well, I, I can do. It. I've got you. You're watching the game. So I, I, I'll, I'll let you keep on that. So. Got eight minutes left in the fourth <laughs> quarter. It's thirteen to twenty, and is is close. <laughs> All right. So moving into the news, uh, New Japan announced its uh, big event schedule from now until September. So we have, like we just mentioned, uh, Battle in the Valley, January thirteenth, in the San Jose Civic Center. Uh, January 20th at the Dolphins Arena in Aichi will be the new beginning in Nagoya. February 11th at Edion Arena in Osaka will have new beginning in Osaka. February 23rd and 24th at the Hokai Kita Yell in Hokkaido, new beginning in Sapporo. March 6th, we will have the uh, 52nd anniversary show. March 20th in Nagata, we'll have... The New Japan Cup Finals, April 6th at Ryogoku Sumo Hall. Uh, the event has not been named. That's usually Sakura Genesis. April 12th, we'll have the Windy City Riot. April 14th in Taipei, there will be an event there yet to be named. May 3rd and 4th at the Fukuoka International Center, which is normally Wrestling Don Taku. June 9th at Osaka Joe Hall. 
which is normally Dominion, but they have not officially labeled it as Dominion yet. June 15th and 16th in Hokkaido. And August 17th and 18th in Ryogoku Sumo Hall for G1 Climax 34. And then in September, there's going to be a Hokkaido yep. tour. We just scored again. <laughs> Yo, we're going to be national champions. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, moving on to the next door here. Uh, Dave Meltzer reports that uh, Matt Riddle will be wrestling on New Japan's February tour in Japan, which consists of the new beginning events. We had a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. Thoughts on the news that Matt Riddle is coming in and may already be booked for a Japanese tour in February. If the company is tightening the belt and not giving favorable terms to existing foreign talent, does offering Riddle a deal seem like a good use of money? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck him. Um, you know, uh, it's funny, though. I had a friend reach out to me the, uh, earlier today, and he was like, uh, over under on the amount of time it takes for him to, you know, basically get arrested or locked out of the country for marijuana. I was like, Matt Riddle, marijuana is the least of the worries that this company's <laughs> got to worry about. You know? Yeah, I did see him do. We're, we're past those days. He's, he did an interview saying like, "Oh yeah, the, the 420 bro won't be in Japan." <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. Which I mean, which which bro is showing up to Japan? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't cheap. To the sign, and there's a lot of foreigners who, whose contracts are, are being up. Um, it was reported that Gabe Kidd's contract is up at the end of the month. We, we talked about Clark Connors last week. There's a lot of uh, foreign guys that they have access to that should be getting that money. Tom Lawler, hey, you want to shoot fighter? You got Tom Lawler right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Tom Lawler. You know, here's the thing though, Jeremy, and I'm just gonna say this we don't have any inside information, we don't know what these guys are getting paid. It, he might have come cheap. He's in a tight spot when it comes to like he can't go to AEW, can't go to WWE. We just saw him wrestling in MLW. He might come with a cheap price tag. True, true. Like this might be a bargain basement value <laughs> sort of deal. Honestly, that that's you true. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, then last piece of news here, uh, Oscar Lube's first stop on his excursion is going to be at the WXW 16 Carat Tournament. That's racist. They sent him home. <laughs> yep. They sent him back to his home promotion for his excursion. That's not an excursion. He's been there before. Well, this That's is not a, any different. What's well, a new and improved Oscar? He, he's been in the dojo now, you know? Bro, that's not an excursion. You can't send him back to his home promotion for his excursion. It's just it's just uh, it's just one tournament. I'm sure he'll go somewhere else. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, for you, Oscar, uh, we got you lined up. You're going home. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been there before. I, I was supposed to learn stuff, you know, somewhere where I don't speak the language, new experience. No, we're sending you to your parents' house. Got great accommodations lined up for you, your family's home. Uh, you're going back to the promotion you used to work for. We'll see you back when you're ready. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's move on to questions here. I got a question that just came in from Reddit from somebody who keeps missing the thread. So I want to give them the first question here. It comes from uh, Secret Monkey Assassin. It says, coming off the back of the All-Star Junior Festival last year and with the formation of United Japan Pro Wrestling recently, 
What do you think are the chances that we have a full strength Super J Cup sometime in the next 12 to 18 months? I would love to see it, but um, you know, there's a lot of uh a lot of politics involved, a lot of money. So, and we don't even know what this I mean, they've got a Japanese alliance, they've got a Asia alliance. Who knows if any of that shit's going to actually happen or play out, you know? It's hard to tell right now. I'm kind of in wait and see mode at this point. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, they, they kind of have the connections to do it, but we'll see if that's even a priority for them. You know, I didn't mention this last week, but I thought it was weird. They brought, you know, Fujita Jr. Hayato out in the Battle Royal. That was cool. I thought he was going to do something kind of cool and interesting the next night at New Year's Dash, and, like, he was, nah, he didn't show <laughs> up. Yeah. You know, it, it's weird. Uh, next question here from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, I started out excited about Sonata's title reign, but was sour on it by the end. The main event and post-match angle made me more hopeful for a better 2024 for him. The emoting as he left the dome seems like a missing piece coming into place. What do you guys think? I, I agree. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to advocate or ever go back to bat for this guy to win the world title again. <laughs> doesn't matter how much... You already, it'd be like, you know, um, it'd be like a, a like a, a partner that you broke up with promising that they're going to change their ways. Like, dog, you already <laughs> had, you had, you had the title. We gave you a, a long ass chance. Like, you had no. half a year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a year. <laughs> More than that. Three quarters of a year. But, um, you know, would I like to see advancement in the character and in the work and you know whatever that story arc is going to be i am hopeful for that because that that did seem like that they were injecting some life i just i'm wondering why the fuck couldn't you do that when he was you know leading the company for right. the past year like it's i don't almost, know it's almost like too little too late it's like all right cool you're actually emoting now but who cares you're not the not the world champion yeah <laughs> uh next question from mjs pr does uh, he says, uh, uh, "He says do some NJPW contract speculation. Clark Connors, Alex Coughlin, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa, ELP, Gabe Kidd, Kevin <gasps> Knight. Where do you think they Two end names. up? <laughs> where do you think they end up, and where is the best landing spot for each of them? Oh my God! Okay, uh, what were the names again? Connors, Coughlin, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, ELP, Gabe, Kevin Knight. Okay, so." Keep it simple. The War Dogs, G.O.D., and Kevin Knight. Yes. And, and yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I guess, okay. So, I'm not necessarily optimistic about any of those guys' chances in either of the two big companies. I think everybody, majority of this list should resign with New Japan and then Tamatonga, I think he's gonna be probably, a WWE guy. Yeah. That's what I think too. I think most of them should resign. Um, you know, there was a time where I would have definitely advocated for many of them to try their depending on the period, but you know, go to WWE, go to NXT, get that in, you know, get gain that experience. Like that was a destination spot at a time and then later aw kind of seemed that way but you know and this isn't to bash either of those two companies but like neither of them right now seem to really they kind of just seem log jam with a 
a plethora of talent. The, the whole deal with them, um, you know, basically being in an arms race to sign everybody under the sun, put them at a stalemate. And they've got too many guys on their rosters, both of them, to the point where they don't know what to do. They don't have enough TV time or uh, interest from the fans to properly move these people through the pipeline and get them, you know, utilized to their greatest potential. And um, Tony Khan hasn't shown, you know, the times when new Japan and AEW have worked together, hasn't shown the greatest interest in a lot of that talent, you know, hasn't really showcased GOD or ELP too much aside from, you know, an opening showcase match and didn't really have much for most of the, um, you know the 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 war dogs guys aside from coggling getting the one shining moment at the first uh forbidden door so I, i'm not optimistic about any of their cap you know possibilities outside of the, the brand right now yeah and that connor spot was only because ishii was injured um yeah he wasn't even gonna be in the match to begin with yeah so yeah if i'm those guys and uh, if i'm new japan I'm, I'm resigning most of that list and then yeah you can send uh Tama and, and Tangaloa to the WWE. Uh, moving on, next question here from Cozy. Dr. Larry has a couple questions. Uh, first, he says, the uh, three, well, three Musketeers seem to be expanding in numbers. Uemura becoming the modern-day Hase. Do you love the new direction of the boys like Vegeta and Oiwa graduating early? Um, It is interesting. Um, it's something that we had talked about before all these guys came back from... Uh, excursion was like you know if you're trying to advance the pipeline at a quicker rate you need to make more room for these guys to be utilized and brought into the fold and we're we are very much so we're in the middle of a transitionary period but you know it's still a situation where it's like um they're using these guys but there's growing pains and it's, it's tough to see certain people ousted from the company and, you know, they're, they're having to realign and re uh, appropriate everything when it comes to money and, and standings and booking slots and everything like that. Um, I don't know if I would call you more of the modern day Hase just yet. Um, Cause Hase was kind of like the odd man out. And I don't know if you more is going to wind up being, you know, the Junakiyama or the Hase of his respective generation. I could potentially see him if the, if, you know, everything falls the right way, he could be, he, I think he's got ace potential. It might not happen, but um, yeah, I am interested to see what going forward, new Japan's booking committee decides to do to get all of these guys in line. Cause we we're already sending more guys on excursion and they've already got a, a full house in the um dojo so right i mean i'm all for yeah speeding up the process getting these guys on excursion and getting them back quicker but it's now once they're back how are we going to use them um because yeah the, i mean so far the, the the musketeers and vegeta and all these guys uh it's been good stuff so far but it, we need to continue to push them and get them elevated we've been saying it over and over again um like you mentioned well, you know when when bushi road first and the office first made the declarations that they wanted to speed up the process i was one of those dissenting voices where i was like yeah in theory that's a great idea but at the same time 
there is a, a reason why um you know new japan has had so much success over the years with this dojo system and it does take time it's not as easy as just pumping them out you know at, at a faster rate yeah um, but it, it it's a fine line because at the same time the, the wrestling landscape with aw and wwe and the globalism of of wrestling has kind of changed things all the same right you gotta gotta get them uh heat up before they get signed off right Let's see. Uh, Dr. Larry also says uh, Japan is making sure WWE has no foothold at all in Japan. People freaking out over nothing. And I am thankful Social Suplex is the only one not losing their shit. Japan makes it so hard for American companies. Disney owns none of their land for the theme parks. Disney does not own any studios. If Disney cannot break through to make their own stuff in Japan, why do people think WWE will? Like I cannot emphasize to all Japanese bosses, the all Japan Japanese boss won't sell or it's less likely to sell because all Japan represents the Japan after rebuilding post World War II and is the link to JWA and all that, along with the entertainment industry and WWE not being on a large station at all. So all this fear mongering is just a bunch of ignorant Americans acting like chicken little when all they have to do is a little bit of research. That's right. My question is a comment that people should stop losing their shit. Japan and Asia in general is a hard market to break into. WWE has more successful in Asia in the 2000s with the big TV deals and big tours and even having live Raw and SmackDown. They do not have the power to really break into Asia. They've tried China. They tried India. Nothing took because they don't understand the market in Asia will keep them out. Like for real, I just want to inform you guys so you don't sound stupid or uninformed. Wait, so, <laughs> um, just, all right, so real quick, that's a great question, but I just want to point out, Michigan just caught uh, an interception and ran it all the way back, and we just scored again. Like, this shit's cooked. We, we're the fucking national champions. Like, I, I, there's three minutes and 37 seconds left to go, but it's 13.33. We're the fucking champions, my boy. This has happened. Congratulations. Oh, my God. There's so many sad faces in the crowd right now. Oh, my God. There's people crying, dude. Oh. Anyways, um, back to that question slash comment. First, he congratulated us on being one of the few smart voices. And then at the end, he was like, I just want to educate you guys so you don't sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so which is it? Are we smart or are we stupid? <laughs> We're smart, but he wants to make sure we stay smart. <laughs> um, You know, I, I do understand you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that we, even though we try to stay informed, we're not the most entrenched voices when it comes to um, Japanese culture or the business ongoings of Perezu. Like, I, I can't claim that, you know, that status. That's not me. I don't think that's Jeremy. But um, I do think that there is good reason to fear what WWE is doing. Because I agree with everything. And who was it? That was Rainbow and Slam Pick? No, that was uh, Dr. Lariat. Oh, Dr. Lariat. In the Discord. Everything that he said is 100% accurate. Um, one of the greatest, well, two things. One, WWE has tried for years and years and years to get into the Asian market. And the, the greatest successes they've ever have or have ever had have been when they were partnered with New Japan and partnered with all Japan back in like the and SWS as well and a little bit war, you know, but 
on their own, they've never had great success. I mean, the novelty of doing one big annual like Subo Hall show, you know, periodically through the years or, you know, a, a Raw or a SmackDown live, those do okay, but they've never done like monster numbers. And when you look at the Google trends, they're not high ranking. They're not, you know, they are in the like weekly pros. So people are aware of them, but it's not like they have this diehard dedicated fan base in Japan. They've never been able to break into the market from just a cultural standpoint. And then when he mentioned how hard it is for a foreign product or a foreign corporation to get into Japan, he's not lying. It's extremely difficult. Um, You know, uh, for me, the one thing that is called to mind, and this is the second thing, is like when the UFC bought Pride Fighting Championship, I mean, they bought the entirety of the company not just like the name and the logo and the fighters contracts, but they like, they retained all of those employees and the entire infrastructure of the company. And they tried like hell, but like they made, they had press conferences and they were like, we're going to operate as two brands UFC in the, in the States and then pride fighting championship in Japan. And they could not fucking, and now it, they, it did hurt them. The Yakuza, um you know advertising uh scandal which is what killed pride in the first place that hurt their um relations over there and made it difficult for them to obtain any kind of footwork but like or foothold but ultimately like they found out very quickly like they were not going to be able to form a japanese company over there like it didn't matter how much money they had it didn't matter how much like sway they had like it's just not, it wasn't going to happen. And like, I don't know all the ins and outs of the business, but they basically gave up the entire notion of trying to do it and just laid everybody off because it was a, it was a money suck for them and they were never going to get on TV and they were never going to be able to tour. Like it's a very insular culture. And what I am afraid of, and we're not freaking about it, freaking out about it on the air. But the one thing I think that WWE is starting to do, which might be, the way they creep into the marketplace is by working with all of these different Japanese companies so much so that they over years and over a long period of time ingratiate themselves into the, the, the like landscape of Perezu and slowly start to permeate the scene that way because they've tried every other way to do it and it doesn't work but if if they if if you start seeing wwe's working with all japan now they're working with dragon gate now they're working with stardom now they're working with new japan now they're working with all these big you know now they're just everywhere and they saturate the market eventually they will find some way to fuck up perezu <laughs> history kind of shows us that when you look at I granted it's not the same WWE that it was under Vince, but if you don't, but if you think that they're doing this to not actually, you know, dominate the market in some way, even if it's a long-term plan, 20 years, 30 years, you're kidding yourself. Like they're not working with all Japan right now for, for fun. No reason, for fun. <laughs> yeah. For goodwill yeah. to expand to, to better the wrestling, you know, landscape. Yeah, I, I doubt it, that uh, Paul and uh, Sean are big, you know, all Japan marks. 
Right. I, I do. I do agree. I think that they might find it an impossibility to actually like gain real foothold. But wrestling's not the same kind of business as like what Disney runs. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's a grimy business, and like they are the mar- world market leader. They do have serious money, and there's a lot of Japanese companies that are really hurting right now and could probably use their help. And it's a vulnerable time for Prorezu and they might snake their way in and slowly creep into the market via the other promotions that exist. Yeah. Uh, next question here from JSK 2002. Who are you buying stocks in for the next year with the criteria, not only being how talented you think they are, but also how well you think they'll be booked An obvious choice. But Chota would be one example for me, completely sold me in the second half of 2023 and with how much the U.S. belt meant to him, I think it only makes sense for him to go after and win the global championship in the near future. Zach Sabre Jr., I think that he should, I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I think he's the guy that if they're going to um, put the world title on a, another foreign talent, he's the guy. Yeah, I think Zach's a great guy to put stock in. I I feel like he's going to win the world title this year, or at least come very close to it. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like with him kind of getting out that TV picture and Osprey being gone, there's a perfect path for him to uh, get elevated into that spot. Um, Shingo. Mm. You know, uh, even though the company has shown time and time again that they undervalue him, I think with some of the big name talents leaving and the shifting of the guard, it might create a scenario where they kind of need to rely on him. And this might be a perfect opportunity for Shingo to be another top guy, maybe like a global title reign down the line. Uh, Definitely uh, Yota Suji. I know he hasn't been booked in fully booked in the main event scene yet, but he has so much charisma. I feel like he's undeniable. um, And he's a guy that I think is going to get a nice little uh, run this year. I, I agree, and um, yeah, I, I guess we could keep going, but those th- th- those would be my big three. So yeah. Uh, next, we have a set of questions here from Def Triangle Seven Twenty. Says if you guys were in President Tana position and he has to look at the Gaijin talent, which of them should be a priority to re-sign? Zach. Yeah, Zach, and if uh, Zach's already locked in, I would say probably uh, Gabe Kid. Gabe Kid. Says, uh, does it seem like there's a hesitation to push any new guys in different positions with it being contract season? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's the case. I think that they're waiting to see who's going to stick around and and everything like that before they decide to kick it into high gear. Plus, you know, like we've said, they need to make space for some of these guys. That means certain people are going to have to take pay cuts, be de-pushed, maybe be freelance status. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, then he says, uh, are any of you guys worried Tan- uh, Tana may not change anything in New Japan like the booking committee? Uh, yeah, we don't know whether this is just a uh, figurehead role or a go-between role. He might not really have any major power whatsoever. I mean, um, there have been other uh, wrestling presidents in New Japan's history. I think he's the fifth at this point behind Inoki and say a Sakaguchi and uh, uh, God, who else was it? Was it Fujinami and Choshu? I think 
Yeah, I think I, so. I can be wrong on that, but I think that's who it was. Um, and yeah, he might not change anything. Yeah, I'm not necessarily like worried about it, um, but yeah, we don't really know. But I hope he does change stuff. You know what I'm more worried of? I'm more worried he changes things for the worse. Yeah, because like, we we have no reason to believe or know that Tanahashi is capable of running a wrestling company. <laughs> right. I mean, not all great wrestlers can be great bookers or great office people. Uh, I mean, look at NXT. <laughs> Bro, a minute 49 left to go, 34 to 13. We fucking whooped Washington. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> I can't believe, bro, this is crazy. I cannot believe we're the national champions. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, hypothetically, if Gator did step down as a head booker, who could take his place? I, w- I wouldn't know. No, we've been in that question a lot. We we don't know. Uh, what for for Brian Ch- Danielson. <laughs> Tony Khan. <laughs> uh, no, Ch- not Tony Khan. His booking has sucked recently. With the Chicago show being a big building, should New Japan try to push a big show that isn't like their typical U.S. shows and small venues. Yeah, it needs to be something major. They need an IWGP title, and they need they need big matches, yeah, big they, money matches. All, all titles should be on the line, big matches. Uh, try to do as much promotion as you can in the States. That's another thing, too. Is that show taking place after or before Sakura Genesis? After. Hmm. So you're not going to find out a card until, <laughs> you know, like five days before the show. Are you serious? I'm, I'm just I'm just saying, just the way the way that New Japan does stuff. No, but I mean, is that how many days apart they are? Five days? Yeah, so the Sumo Hall show is scheduled for April 6th. When you see riots, April 12th. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so that, oh, get, no. that gives you like five or six days before they announce a card. Bro, that's going to mean like, oh, we're, we're the national champions. They're, they're, they're dumping water and shit. This is incredible. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll wait and see how yeah. it plays out, but that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, and it's last question: Do you guys think the heavyweight tag titles can feel special again, like twenty twenty? Yes, um, that's going to fall on the shoulders of God or you know uh, somebody else, but hopefully them. Hopefully they uh, you know rise to the occasion and make it special. Um, right now, with them facing Kenta and. Um, What's his name? Chase Owens. And Chase Owens. Like, there's no reason to think that that's going to start them off on the right foot. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I like G.O.D. They're a great team. But, like, they're not going to pull a miracle off with Chase <laughs> Owens and Kenta in 2024. Right. And I think we've seen with World Tag League, they have the teams to do something interesting and compelling. Yeah, it's annoying that that's who they picked as their first title challengers after after we just saw World Tag League. And there's a lot of great teams. Yeah. Uh, next question here from aggressive, aggressive underscore vegan. Now that Tanahashi has creative control, will he lose at all this year? Will anything work for him, brother? What? So now that Tanahashi has creative control, will he lose at all this year? Oh. Will anything <laughs> work for him, brother? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> he already has two titles right now. He's the never six man and the, the world TV champion, like simultaneously. He's just going to slowly like get all of the undercard titles <laughs> <laughs> until at one point he has all of them, bro. It's raining 
It's raining. It, this is incredible. We're, we're the fucking champions. We're the best. Uh, next question from a base baseball. Are you guys going to talk about it? What is the upside of bringing in Riddle? Is this a historical liability? Not notable enough to be a domestic difference maker. And there are a good number of international fans that are actively turning off with his presence. Um, I know that's into new Japan. Do you think that they're bringing in more people with him than they're losing? Is that is is it that he's willing to work for peanuts and NJPW straight up? Don't JF or God help us? Are they testing the wars to see if they can build up, build him up as a foreigner that they know WWE AW won't poach? I think it's all of that. I think that they probably did get a good deal on him. I mean, I'm just speculating, but I just have to imagine he, what leverage does he have? You know. Then again, you never know. New Japan has shown a propensity and a willingness to sign pretty much mostly anybody that was in wwe of any sort of note in the past so that's always a possibility that yeah maybe maybe you were right jeremy maybe he is getting a hefty payday <laughs> from his uh you know coming over i don't know but um yeah there, there's a lot of upside from their standpoint if they're like if they think that they're not looking to expand so much into the west as much anymore and he's going to be working mostly japanese dates and he is you know a guy that has a lot of charisma and i mean say what you will about him and there's a lot you can say he's an incredible fucking worker like yeah, he just always has been. it's great yeah he's an incredible worker so and they know that he like you said he's not gonna get poached by AEW. <laughs> they're not gonna touch him with a 10-foot pole so that gives them more leverage over him when it comes to the, the negotiating table um so yeah that this might be something where they're like fuck the u.s fan base because it does feel a little bit like a like a fuck you to us mm -hmm. and they're like the japanese fans don't care and that's who ultimately at the end of the day like that's who we serve and he might be you know he might make us money yeah um that's kind of what i think it is and i think they also are sort of hoping that like you know uh, part of this too you kind of have to blame wwe and the wwe fans because they never fired him. They never investigated. They never did shit. And the, the WWE fans were fine with it and they didn't say shit. And, you know, he only got fired because it was a straw that broke the camel's back, you know, time and time again, failed drug tests, covered up drug tests, you know, the, the, uh, the airport incident. Yeah. The man's on the airport incident, you know, and, and stuff, but like dudes, you know, I, I could say some things. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I could say some things, but yeah. yeah. And it, and it seems like the, the MLW fans were cool with him. So, well, I don't know. Did you see what Matt Stryker did? Yeah. He essentially was like, I don't care what people think about him. Like he's great. He made, he made a joke, something about like, you know, him. I don't know. I can't recall exactly what it was, but something about him, like being, you know, tried in the court of public opinion, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, had to retract it and, like, apologize because of his tone deafness. Plus, he, then he said he was only in character. But then he recently, he, I saw he deleted the apology <laughs> and just just left the comments about him just being in character. So, I don't know. Um, and then the funny thing about it was, like, Dave commented on it. And I haven't listened to Observer where Dave said this, but I saw the, the quotes. And Dave was basically, like, criticizing Matt uh, Stryker, but not the tone deafness of it but because the stuff he was saying wasn't getting over matt riddle like you know and it's like 
No. So yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Like uh I'm not too worried about it though, to tell you the truth, because I think Matt Riddle's a fucking walking disaster and like you know who who gets released first, CM Punk or Matt Riddle? Riddle. All right, let's, let's start the countdown clocks. Yeah. Uh, next question from Wukong901. In your opinion, who had the drippiest outfit at the Dome? I was there live, and Sonata's was pure class. Sonata's was awesome, but I was really impressed with um, Brian Danielson's gear. Yeah, Danielson's gear was great. Suji's gear was great. Um, Okada with the black light gimmick. Yeah. That was raw. Uh, the War Dogs, I thought their their uh, gear was pretty raw. Which ones? Uh, the Juniors, uh, Connors and uh, Drilla. Quing. <laughs> the the, the Aswang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, PSA ninety one. Do you think New Japan should go back to a two night Wrestle Kingdom next year, with the fourth and fifth being on a weekend to give the matches more time and also get more people on the card? No. Yeah, I think until they can prove they can draw like they were before, I say stick to one night. Uh, Raising Falcon says, is it possible for Kaito Kiyomiya to have a worse year in NJPW than he did in 2023? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess not book him at all. <laughs> um, Twitter user at the quick underscore man alt. What's Francesco Akira's future going to be like after that semi meltdown in front of the rest of the United Empire? I didn't see it. Did you see this? I did not. I know like that was like he, he got stabbed in the eye by Finley, but I didn't see exactly what happened. Oh, with him. man, we got to do our homework. We're not fucking <laughs> informed. <laughs> uh, last two questions here from Barry Walsh says just realized with the talk of pushing younger stars. I noticed that. This year, even if the Rambo was there, no Nagata, Suzuki, Hanma, Makabe, Kojima, Tenzan, or Tiger Mask, do you think it's noteworthy that the dads didn't get featured at all? Notice that. I didn't bring it up last week, but yeah, I did notice. I do think it's slightly noteworthy, but, you know, uh, there's not enough room to get everybody on the card. It's the same thing I've been saying throughout these questions. Like, they're going to have to make some room to accommodate their roster. Yeah. Then last thing here, he says, with this title for younger up-and-coming wrestlers under his belt, how do you see the young upstart Tanahashi doing in New Japan, and where do you see him in five years if he continues to build on his fundamentals? (laughs) He could be one of the greats. (laughs) All right, well, that's going to uh, wrap it up for questions. Last thing here, uh, recommended match of the week you did recommend for us to watch. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jordan Brakes from Premier Promotions. I, I failed to uh, watch this before the recording. Oh, my God, Jeremy. <laughs> what are you doing, bro? Uh, so uh, tell us about this uh, Zack Sabre Jordan Brakes match. Here's the thing. I can tell you guys about it, but all right. Here's the thing. I will say this. Jeremy, you got to watch this match. Yeah, I, it, you're, it's you're gonna fucking love it. Like, it slipped my mind. I was like, "Oh crap!" As we started recording, I did not watch that. <laughs> you're gonna love it. But uh, do you, do you have a match that you want us to watch next week or no? Um, no, I did no, not. No, you don't. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So, um, this match, 
Um, again, uh, the best place that I know of that you can find this, if you go to our Twitter, we shared or we, uh, what is it called? We quote tweeted um, Kieran. Kieran um, and he has a copy of a private link to this match. So if you guys haven't seen it, um, go to Kieran's Twitter. I don't know what Kieran's Twitter even actually is. I guess I could look it up. Because if you try to look this up on, on um, so if you go to Kiaran RH93, you'll find, and then you just scroll down and you look up for Zack Sabre Jr. versus Jordan Briggs, you'll see the, uh, the YouTube link. But uh, this took place in Premier Promotions, which is one of the smaller, uh, very long time running, but smaller um, independent companies out of the UK. Like they typically don't even tape any of their matches if you go to like cage match, like no, nothing on cage matches like current for, for their promotion, like at all. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but uh, this match was taped on some dudes like phone, I think essentially, <laughs> but it's in really good quality. Um, and they did a, a small little house. And this is kind of like one of those matches that I love when it comes to excursion match, because it's like, it's this small little hidden gem that maybe nobody would have seen, but it, it exists and we get to see it. And, um, you know, Zach, uh, came to the ring as the, you know, at the time current reigning NJPW world television champion, Jordan breaks, who has a, a reputation as being one of the absolute best technical wrestlers in all of the UK up there with Zach Sabre jr. Um, he is the current reigning premier promotions world champion. I believe that they have weight classes there. So I don't know. Or at least when I looked them up, I, I saw they had weight classes, but I don't know if they still abide by that system. Like, I don't know what title he actually holds, but he I do know he's considered like their primary champion. And this was a non-title British rules rounds match. Uh, and if you're not familiar with what that means exactly, like in British wrestling, um, there's a lot of just weird idiosyncrasies. Like if you go to the outside they give you a 10 count, but the 10 count is not like an American or Japanese wrestling. It's like one, two, three, four. You have 10 seconds to get back in that ring. Um, some of the other things, uh, they're usually like three to five minute rounds. A round ends with a fall. It's two out of three falls. So if you lose a fall, then the round ends immediately. Otherwise, the full round you know, happens um, the referees don't get on the mat to, to count. They actually just count it out standing as they see the pe- the person's shoulders on the ground. So, you know, they say one, two, three. <laughs> and um, this crowd was, you know, very much like a local UK indie crowd. So it's like very, it's got this tight feeling, but these guys went out there and it started extremely sportsmanly, very, you know, um, non-aggressive trying to outdo one another and it's extremely reminiscent of some of my favorite world of sports style wrestling but it very quickly gets you know heated these guys start getting frustrated with one another not being able to outdo the other guy and they they, they're going at a high level and they're doing extremely innovative stuff if you liked danielson versus zach saber jr this match might be as good and in some ways better than it's definitely a higher level of grappling than what I saw from the Danielson saber match. 
uh, which is really saying something because that is an incredible match in its own right. Um, ultimately, Zack Sabre Jr. did pick up the win at the eighth round, so they got a lot of time here. But um, And they paid each other respects, and then the company talked about how Zack Sabre Jr. had been one of their long-lasting champions prior to the pandemic, and they had to actually strip him of his title during the pandemic because he was in Japan and couldn't come back to work or defend the belt, but they handed him an honorary uh, title. Basically they, they gave him the belt that he had prior and it actually looked incredible. I was like, I wish, you know, you uh, American companies had, you know, as good looking titles as this small, you know, uh, indescript company has had, but um, you guys have to see this. Like it's, it's not far off from a five-star match. It's really, I gave it four and a half. I thought it was just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff, you know? So go out of your way and catch this for sure. Nice. Actually, and I do have a recommended match. I don't know if you, did you watch the, uh, the Ishii match from the Noah show? We'll review it. Yeah. All right, let's do that. Uh, Noah or uh, the Noah show, uh, Noah, the new year uh, from January 2nd, Tomohiro Ishii versus uh, Kitamiya. That's fine, and I'm also gonna um, recommend that we review um, Shuri versus <clears throat> versus uh, Julia from the Stardom show on one four for the. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, Shuri Mayu. versus Mayu for the IWGP Women's Title from the Stardom show from one four. All right, sounds good. Well, that's going to wrap things up for the show. Next week, we'll be back to review Battle in the Valley. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media on X. You can follow us at KI Strong Style. Follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. Follow us at Facebook.com. Slash Social Suplex and the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can join our Social Suplex Discord server to interact with us and other wrestling fans. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Summerwitz. Imps WWE Adventure with the Implications of Matthew Mayer. Wrestling Art with Chris Slings. Tunnel Talk with Allie Ann and Leah. And the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.